Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 271, with Graham McMillan and I back, even though, in a way, we technically never left, to talk about the Superman Leviathan Rising one-shot by Brian Michael Bendis and Company, all the crazy news we need to catch up on, Doomsday Clock number 10, Marvel Comics 1000, the 10-year anniversary of this podcast and what comics were popular when we started, a bunch of manga including Haikyuu by Haruyuchi Furudate, John Wick 3, The Lego Movie 2, and much, much more in this not-quite-three-hour episode. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy... Thank you for listening. F. Lester. Graham. <sighs> McMillan, how are you? Well timed. And what was even better was you called. I've been sitting here for whatever, like two minutes. Uh-huh. And you called just as I started having a coughing fit. <laughs> ah, that's me. Mr. Timing. Mr. Timing. Well, sorry about that. I hope that's a random coughing fit, not like... It, it, it was just, uh, you know, sometimes you swallow at the wrong time, and oh, you're just yeah. like, oh, apparently I'm just coughing now. It was one of those. I'm uh, not dying. Well, it's I, good to know I, you're not No dying. more than any of us are dying, Jeff. Oh, God. Right. Which, I'm sure if you check the news, uh, <laughs> we're all dying at a faster rate than we yeah, were. Yeah, I was like, going to say that, yeah. you know... That's a slightly, you know, that was slightly <laughs> less fun when you just bring it to, like, what's actually fucking happening in the world. Hey, Jeff! Graham McMillan! First of all, hello. Secondly, happy anniversary month. Yes! Oh, you're busting out the big news early, as well you should. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, whatnots of of any and all genders and ages and anyone who lenses their ears on a regular basis or even an irregular one. I don't care. Uh, this is June 2019 is the 10th anniversary month of, of wait, what, which is staggering. Yeah. Yeah. To both of us, right? Oh, totally. Totally. I still kind of can't wrap my brain around the idea that it, we've been doing this for a decade. Uh, I, not just yet. Uh, the first episode went up on June nineteenth, two thousand nine. Oh, you're right. Thank you for correcting That's me. Because I, yeah, I yeah. went to look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, you can find the show notes on savagecritic.com or I, I, at this point, I think it's actually comicsexperience.com, and they've just imported Savage Critic posts. I believe that's uh, right. Yeah. But what is really funny, if you look back in it, is first of all, it shows up as if Brian has written it, even though you wrote the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but also. You can tell that, A, we were just getting started, and B, we literally had no idea what we are doing, because the show notes for the first episodes give no indication about what we're actually talking about at all. <laughs> literally not. The one thing you actually say that's mm-hmm. related to the content of the podcast is that we were using the Nine Inch Nails track as the theme. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. And then you say that you think you sound like a bozo for the first two minutes. <laughs> Ah, it's nice to know over a decade my self-worth uh, is Self-flagellation really, yeah. is continuous. Oh, boy. I, I, I've got to say, I also forgot that we used to like record like the conversations that we have now, but we split them up in That's multiple right. episodes. Yeah. It's like the first conversation is split up into three different episodes, That's which right. makes me think, how many episodes have we actually done? 
let's see, this is it. I have no idea how to keep track of that, you know? Because I forget, did I do the numbering is like 1.1, 1. 1.2, yeah, 1.2, 1. 1. yeah. Yeah, which sort of made sense to me because I'm like, it's one conversation and I thought we could keep track of it. And thank God, I believe people who were listening to us were just like, just put it all together as one mega thing. Like, I, st- I don't know if that was necessarily the best idea per se. It's what but, happens, and yeah. they can just they can just it, be happy about it. <laughs> uh, I've just I had the realization that what I wanted to do mm-hmm. was uh, no, I see that didn't work. I was like, I'm going to look it up on like Spotify and see if it actually gives you an idea of of how many episodes. Mm. But it really doesn't. It doesn't number them at all. Yeah, which yeah. is a shame because yeah. we're already at on regular like on on if you will. Marvel Legacy numbering, or in episode 270, this is technically episode 271. That's right. But that's not including, like, the the, the episode, like, after you were, you were here in town, mm-hmm. or the Baxter Buildings, or the Drocks, mm-hmm. or the multiple episodes that we did that were one conversation split into, you know, yeah. three or four different episodes. So, oh god, we did those really far in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 79.2. Oh, really? Really? Not late. Wow, I am shocked. Wait, are you sure that one's just not a a weird outlier? Are the no, other ones episode labeled? 79.1 is an hour, and ever 79.2 is an hour and 15. Wow. Good uh, yeah, we, we, we have more or less split into regular, yeah, it's one, the only other, the one before that that was like a multiple part episode is episode 68. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so we did it sort of irregularly from that point on. But right. still, it's a long time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. So it's fair to say that we're probably, like, approaching 350 episodes all told? Yeah, I think I think that... Not more? Yeah. I, That's I, nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, depending on how you count, I think that I think that we're still under it. But that is amazing. It's, it's comfortably done over 300. Life? What's that? We're done with our lives. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's kind of stunning to think how many years now I've spent like editing this podcast. It is it's a little it is a little it's uh, it's a little daunting, a little daunting, if you will. Um, well, how, how many how long have we spent talking for this podcast? Well, see, that's it. If you go to was it iTunes or people people who have downloaded the episodes have told us before, like because it'll give you a total count, and it's it's terrifying. I mean, it's. I mean, let's just say that, it's, you know, each each episode is at least an hour and a yeah, half. Right. And we're over, like, you know, yeah. we're approaching 300 numbered episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's, no, it's scary. <laughs> Everyone who's stuck with us all this time, I'm sorry? <laughs> don't, don't say, you're welcome. You're welcome for getting literally... Months of free content uh, from us. Uh, we free content. content. We have a Patreon chat. Come on. Well, that's it's still free. I, I mean, it's I free don't for the people who don't contribute to it. You know. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jeff. Jeff, to celebrate our our tenth anniversary. Yes. I uh, I looked up what the the best selling comics of June two thousand nine were. Oh God. And best selling comics of two thousand nine as a whole were. Uh huh. Are you ready? For this trip down memory lane. I am so glad I'm sitting, Graham. I can't tell you. Okay, go for now, it. Now, do you want the top 20 or the top 10 for June? Let's go with let's go with the top 20, because I'm sure that's when shit gets weird. At 20, 
Green Lantern Corps number 37. Hmm. At 19, Red Robin issue 1. Hmm. At 18, Astonishing X-Men issue 30. Huh. At 17, Mighty Avengers issue 25. At 16, Wolverine issue 74. At 15, Thor issue 602. Hmm. At 14, Uncanny X-Men 511. Mm-hmm. At 13, Detective Comics 854. Hmm. Uncanny X-Men 512 is a 12. Mm-hmm. Dark Wolverine. Remember Dark Wolverine? That's uh, issue 75 is at number 11. Flash Rebirth issue 3 at 10. Green Lantern issue 42 at 9. Ultimatum issue 4 is oh, at 8. Oh, God, no. New Avengers 54 is at 7. Dark Avengers issue 6 is at 6. Dark Avengers issue 5 is at 5. Batman 687 is at five. Is it is at four? Sorry, mm-hmm. Dark Avengers slash Uncanny X Men colon Utopia issue one <laughs> is, is at three. Captain America 600 is at two. Uh-huh. Batman and Robin issue one is at one. Huh. Well, great. That's the last when we started. That's yeah. what was going on in comics, and somehow we were like, "Let's do a comics podcast." Let's yeah, let's talk comics. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, I mean, my brain doesn't work well, but like uh, Batman 687 and Batman and Robin are both when Morrison's on those I want to say 687, I think, might have been uh, Tony Daniels' first issue. Oh, God, that'd be hilarious if you proved me wrong. But Morrison was doing it up until, what, 700, right? Or am I wrong? No, no, Morrison, no, Morrison jumped off as soon as, uh, let's see, who did it? Oh, you're right. Oh, show me the show me the cover of someone. Judd Winnick and Ed Bennis did Batman oh. six eighty seven. Oh no! Oh yes. wow! Okay, yeah. all right. Um, uh, Dark Avengers, of course. I mean, you realize how much Bendis is on there? Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton. There's a ton. Well, the Dark Avengers storyline that was the big event they were Marvel was pushing. Is that Dark Wolverine? Dark Maiden. What's that? Remember Dark Rain? No. Is that like... Dark, tro- Rain, Dark, Dark Rain was like the, the umbrella title for all of that stuff. Oh, sorry. I, I Yes, R-A-I-N. I'm like, no, Graham, you mean Chocolate Rain. And that wasn't a comic <laughs> book. That was... Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Hey, what year was Chocolate Rain? Is that also in... Uh, was that near I, 2009? I, let, let me look, because I'm really glad I'm googling Chocolate Rain. Uh, <laughs> Chocolate Rain. 2007. Oh, hey, there you go. Wow, we haven't been around as long as as long as uh, Chocolate Rain. That's, Chocolate uh... Rain still outpaces us for two years. <laughs> what, what a what a happy thing that for Indeed. us to see. I want to say uh, Detective Eight Fifty Four is the uh, Ruckus Cat Batwoman. It is oh, interesting. Okay, it is. It's the first appearance of. It's the first episode of, of Ruckus Batwoman. Okay, so because I was I was really struck by the top twenty of. How few of those comics I had and or read, but that detective does tack on to that to help that experience. What's appalling is like I think I've read every single one of those comics purely because of like Marvel Universe and DC Unlimited. Uh, Marvel uh, yeah. Unlimited DC Universe rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that because part of me is sort of – I've read some of them now finally over time, but – Still not a lot of them. I have to... The Dark Avengers thing... No, you know what? I take it back. I did end up reading the first trade of Dark Avengers. 
Yeah, so you will have read those issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, hmm. Well, I've read them, but not in anything like the current time. So You're like, yeah, not anything that I was paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely Uh, not. Do you want the top 20 of the entire year? Jesus. Okay, sure. Yes. New Avengers issue 50 at 20. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern issue 44 and 19. Batman and Robin issue 3 at 18. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern 43 at 17. Mm-hmm. Flash Rebirth 1 at 16. Amazing Spider-Man 600 at 15. Final Crisis issue 6 at 14. Mm-hmm. Captain America Reborn issue 2 at 13. Batman 66 at 12. Okay, now I've got to see. Is that also Judd Winnick? Because that would be hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, no, it's Neil Gaiman. That's the Neil Gaiman issue. Oh, okay. Right. All right. Um, Batman Robin issue 2 at 11. Dark Avengers 1 at 10. Mm-hmm. Captain America 600 mm-hmm. at 9. Blackest Night takes up uh, 5 to 8. Wow. Uh, it, it, it goes 2, 5, 3, 4. Uh-huh. Batman Robin 1. At mm-hmm. four, Captain America Reborn one at three, Blackest Night one at two, and Amazing Spider-Man five eighty three is the best selling comic of the year. Oh, of course it is, because that must be the Obama cover. It issue. is the Obama issue. Yes, yeah, it is. Of course. So, huh? Well, and it, it sold like half a million copies. Uh, yeah, half a million copies. Yeah, five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it very handily outstripped the number two Everything seller. Everything else. Yeah. Yes. Blackest Night literally sold less than half of that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense. And was, you know, still considered a huge hit in the marketplace. I, well, it, still, it was. Yeah. Like 200,000. You yeah. know, that that's a lot. Yep. But yeah, that that's that's the world we started this podcast in. Wow. Yes. A world of Brian Bendis and Jeff Johns. And... I was going to say, a world that is not that much different, and it feels very different. It feels very different. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also, like, really not. Like, what are the best-selling brands? Batman and Avengers. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, shit. Okay, sure. Right. Like, the, big, the biggest change might be that the Green Lantern franchise has collapsed. Yeah, sort of more or less fell apart over time. And, uh, right, is amazing. I mean, honestly, it fell apart when Jones left. Yeah. And I say that as someone who thought the Robert Vinton Disney run was actually really fun. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. Like, that, that run just lost readers from the get-go, sadly. You know, it's really funny that we are talking about Green Lantern and Jeff Johns because... Um, Is that what our first episode was about? Uh, no, no, not nearly. But I did want to say that today, uh, while trying to get some comic reading in, I was in very much of the, I, I want to read I want to, I want to read some comics off the streaming service, but I also kind of didn't want to... Um, but I also don't. I, I did. Well, kind of, kind of. That's kind of weirdly the case, and I might talk about that more later. But, but I was like, I really don't want to think about it. So with DC Universe, like Marvel Unlimited has that really wonderful random comic button, which I'm, I'm now addicted to. I have uh, never used it, but I, I may have to because this is like second or third time you've mentioned. It's because it's kind of fun. Like I mean, the it's usually more fun if you don't discriminate but like even the other night i was like okay i'm just gonna keep hitting this button until i get a comic that is you know it's it's, good that i want to read not necessarily but it's kind of jeff's age because for whatever reason like the marvel unlimited random book just a lot of times i'm like maybe because of the nature of how much um, you know, Marvel Unlimited has been around and was kind of adding their six month ago comics. Like 
their comic output on a random search is really weighted toward the last six years or something. But if you mm-hmm. keep clicking, so I kept getting the 90s and the 80s and the, the, the 2000s. And I'm like, I want something from when I was a kid. And it was great because I just kept hitting the button, hitting the button, hitting the button. And then like Nova issue six came up and I was like, oh, no, not that one. So it was like a lot more but- button pushing. And I came up with an issue of Thor, uh, which I, again, may talk about later because that was a weird one. Over on the DC Universe side of things, and to tie it into, I swear to God, what we were just talking about is because there was not the random button, I opened up the all comics, I whisked my finger up really quickly on the iPad. You you did Mm -hmm. the the digital version of like just throwing a dart. Yes, I did. And what did I get? Green Lantern the movie. So I clicked oh, on that category. First. I did not realize there were so many Green Lantern movie prequel one shots. There's, there's yeah, there's an entire like trade made up of them. Yeah. Well it makes sense. It, they believe me, having read two of them, it's clear that's how they were written. Like it was it was ooh, it was that was some pretty dire comics. And I have to say one of the charms of Marvel Unlimited is I've read some real shit comics through that too. <laughs> what of the charms these is reading some dogs. Yeah, it's really funny. I'm like, oh right, like this is this is pretty objectively bad. Like I read an issue of Amazing Spider Man from the David Michelini scripting era where I was like this is just garbage, you know? And then anyway, but the Green Lantern, the Hal Jordan prequel was crazy shit, was crazy shit. Cause it was, I don't know. How, like, it seemed like such a weird money grab. I mean, it's Jeff Johns. I mean, Jeff Johns's name is on like three of the five titles, but he's co-writing them with names I absolutely don't recognize, which is I would leave much. money. The names are like Mike Johnson. Yeah, I think that might be yeah, one Mike of Johnson's them. Yeah, because Mike Johnson and, and Michael Green write a bunch. Michael Green was one of the script writers for the movie. Oh, I see. So they brought him in to show him a good time, comics-wise. Yeah, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, let's no, just say Mike, that. Mike Johnson and Michael Green like have written a bunch of comics. Um, for the most part, like always tie-ins to other things. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm going to say other things. I mean, like TV shows or movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say they both co-wrote a lot of the Star Trek stuff for ITW when the movies were coming out. Mm. Uh, they, I, I'm fairly not going to be sure that they are writing the new Blade Runner comics that's coming out from Titan. Wow. Because, again, Michael Green – well, Michael Green wrote Blade Runner 2049. Oh, really? Was one of the dudes who wrote it, right? Because it wasn't – Hampton yeah. Fisher was also on it and I thought David Pebbles, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm going to look it up. I want to see who's got the final credit because I, I think it's one of those films that were like, you know, yeah. 72 people read. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, okay, so Hampton Fisher and Michael Green both have a screenwriter, screenplay by credit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Huh. Okay, well, shows you what I know. Look at that. Uh, but but no, they also did um, the Supergirl run that launched the new 52 run of Supergirl. Oh. Hmm. Uh, and honestly, it's surprisingly good. Right. I remember people saying decent things about it. I don't know. It's. I feel like that's the curse of Supergirl, is I feel like 
I hear so many good things about that run from like two people and it seems like nobody else is reading it. I obviously including I mean, me, I, but you know. I honestly feel like that's kind of the curse of Supergirl always, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, but it's really good. And they'll be like, okay, but you always read Supergirl. Right. Yeah. And I say that as someone who's read a bunch of Supergirl and it's normally like, this is much better than everyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you have to be predisposed in the first place. Uh, could be. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just a weird, it was weird uh, reading the Leviathan Rising or Rising Leviathan or whatever the fuck it was. The one shot this Superman week. Superman colon Leviathan Isaac. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, because, I, I, yes. What's that? I was going to talk to you about that. I was wondering if you had read it. I had. I, at first I was not because it was it, the, it seemed really pricey, and I was like, ugh, I don't know, ugh. And I mean, part of me was like, I do want to preview the stories, but I was like, eh, you know, there's a little bit of that. Um, it just seemed, it just seemed pricey. But I heard enough people saying good things about it. I was like, oh, what the hell, Jeff? Live a little. So I, I purchased it, and I liked it. I really did. Um, I thought it was surprisingly strong. Uh, not not just like you know preludes to big events, mm-hmm. but like preview book for the Lois and Jimmy series, and just like a good story. No, see, and that was it. I was like, I sometimes forget like the stuff that drives me crazy about Bendis in not a good way is frequently rectified if he ends up with like a larger page count. So this had a full story tucked in it as well as being able to have these separate branches for the previews that all tied together. And it was like, Oh, like I realized that it was, it was not a feeling that I've had over the last four or five or six issues of Superman action comics is a little teetering on the precipice. Yeah. But, but like you're you're not a fan of Superman, but you are a fan of action comics, right? Or, or at least you're more of a fan of action than you are of Superman. Yes, I've been enjoying action. I think action is better plotted than Superman. Superman's the ever since has just been kind of too weird. Blobby. Superman has been has been much more. Uh, I think better plotted is a really good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Superman feels much more the. Like a, an improvisational, like yes and book, yeah. Where instead of actually ever attempting to resolve a storyline, even mm-hmm. it's literally and then this happens, and yeah. then this happens, right. and then this happens. Yep. Uh, whereas action does feel like there's a story, for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's uh, enough enough cooking there, and it also it feels cohesive. I'm also just not, as you know, a big fan of the whole. Um, aging up John and then telling his stories in media super res and then it's just anyway so Leviathan Rising thought was really fun the thing that was interesting is I did was not prepped for because I'm a dope I knew there would be the Jimmy Olsen preview and the Lois Lane preview but they also work in the Supergirl stuff which makes sense it's it's yeah, a super it's a book. Super, uh, yeah. Book, yeah. Yeah. And reading that, I was like, this is weird. Cause I, cause I wasn't paid. I literally knew nothing about whatever the current Supergirl's status was. So the idea that Supergirl's adopted parents are like ex DEO agents on the run or whatever, I was like, 
really? Like, it's a very, it's a weirdly, um, I don't know, just, I just feel like that says so much about comics these days, you know, is like, oh, of course she's going to have, you know, super spy parents. I mean, I, you know, so did Peter Parker it, in his way, but, you know. Yeah, but to put some of this in slightly more context, uh-huh. this is a relatively recent development. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's like a rebirth era development. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's tying in with a lot of the Supergirl TV show stuff. Mm. Right. So Supergirl in the TV show is connected to like the department of whatever EO is, the EO. Right. Extra- like through her sister, right? Her, or also her, her parents? sister. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, I, but you know, the, the familial connection thing to the DEO comes from the TV show and they've just sort of like worked it in, in this way Wait, to the comics. But, but in the TV show, is it her parents as well? It's No, it's the sister. It's the sister. Oh, my God. What's wrong with comics? Why can't we just do it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why is it like always... Just, like, directly translated? Yeah, just directly translated. It's like, oh, we're going to do tie it into the TV series. I'm like, oh, so the, so the sister's the... No, 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 it's the parents. And it's like, what, what, what the fu- what's the point of that? It's kind of like, it's like making... I don't know. You know, it's it's like... Oh, it's but, like, like there's a weird there's a weird thing I'm like you know let's come back to the Superman special because I do want to talk about it yes but it's it's a weird thing that's going on in DC in general which I didn't really till someone pointed out on Twitter which is DC is newly obsessed with parents mm-hmm. right so you've got Super Sons which turns Batman and Superman into dads right right but in both Superman and Batman's comics their dead dads are alive again mm-hmm. and are morally ambiguous at best. Mm-hmm. Which is weird that both of those are happening at the same time. Yeah, that is kind right? of weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's genuinely strange that both of those are happening at the same time. Right. Um, and and then again, you like in Supergirl the comic, mm-hmm. they brought in like surrogate parents mm-hmm. because apparently, like, I mean, it's just you, you know maybe the rebirth era is the parent like era. Mm-hmm. I, I don't quite you know. I don't quite know how that fits together, but you, you, you can look across the line as well. The Martian Manhunter series right now mm-hmm. deals a lot, I think, with him as, as a father mm-hmm. and his failures as a father. Mr. Miracle was about him as a father in many ways. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it could we're, well... We're literally, we're literally like a year away from Supergirl, uh, from Wonder Woman having a, a baby. Right. Oh, God. Please don't say that out loud. That's that's. But yeah, no, maybe. I mean, that it's. I don't know. I wonder if it's a little bit of the. Well, there might be the weird skewing of. With rebirth was kind of the idea of like, you know, the return to, the concepts of the legacies, which were really wiped out by the new fifty two. But it's almost like the kind of Dan DiDio, Bob Harris version of that, where it's like, sure, yeah, legacies. Well, you know, we're going to the characters, evil dads are going to come back and they're going to have kids. But, you know, none of this, like, who cares? You know, the JSA, whatever kind of thing, you know, I don't oh, well, know. spoken like someone who hasn't read Doomsday Clock, as you say. Uh, yeah, but Graham, even if I had... <laughs> I'm sure going to say, why, 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 yeah. why would it? No, no, Although no, no, no. that comic is fascinating. We'll come back to that later as yes, well. Yes, I would like to, I would very much like to come back to it. But part of me is kind of, I'm not really sure. 
there's such a strong whiff of Jeff Johns being persona non grata at DC that I'm like, yeah, sure. Like he's, he wants the JSA brought back. And I'm like, and that could be, you know, that could be squelched by the time doomsday clock is over. So, you know, or, or, or it's rather he gets to write his one little special and then everyone ignores it. Or, you know, they do the equivalent of, of Brad Metzerine it, you know, Meltzerine it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, I'm, yeah. Um, part of me is like, Jeff, you just want to talk about doomsday clock now. And, and then they'll just, I will really get us off topic. Um, doomsday we're on, clock. We're on topic. Is, <laughs> doomsday clock is your turn, Jeff. Yes. Right. Is, simultaneously the comic that everyone has been waiting for since Doomsday Clock was announced and this weird weird meta take on DC which it's not even like it's one of those things where like you know how meta text is essentially subtext mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so imagine meta text that was subtext but was actually just text so here, here is the right. here is the plot of Doomsday Clock number ten. Right, and I'm it's told out of linear fashion, but I'm going to tell it in linear fashion. Right, because because it's Doctor Manhattan narrated. Yes, right. Yes, yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell it in linear fashion. Okay, Doctor Manhattan shows up in the DC universe mm-hmm. in like the late forties. Mm-hmm. He interrupts a uh, uh, an assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, he, like, there's even a line of dialogue. Like, like, the first thing he hears is the the man being assaulted, going, "I hope my assaulter is okay." And then the first thing he sees is him checking the assaulter for the person who was assaulting him for a pulse. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "You know, this is not like this is a, you know people here are different. This is not like my world." So Johns is you know immediately setting out the basically people are kinder and more hopeful in DC universe. They are not realistic mm-hmm. train right there. Mm-hmm. He then sort of doubles back and goes, okay, justice society. Ooh, Superman. Great. Here's Superman's origin, which is dated to the release date of action comics. Number one, mm-hmm. Superman's debut. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Manhattan basically sees all the reboots of the DC universe happen. Mm-hmm. as they happen. And he's like, so okay, Superman first appeared in 1938. No, he didn't. He first appeared in 1956. No, he didn't. He first appeared in 1986. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why is why is this happening? Why is history changing? Mm-hmm. And then you get a, a lengthy treatise on Superman is the most important person to DC Universe because he embodies hope, and his hope goes backwards and forwards through time and inspires other people. Which, sure, right? I'll give him. Then he goes into this, this universe is part of a multiverse, you know, uh, and John's basically tries to dress it up as like, you know, I am simultaneously omnipotent and I have read some science books. And so the multiverse is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he's like, but it's not. It's it's the center of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And so whenever time is, is this revised here, it ripples out and affects everything. Mm hmm. And so uh, Dr. Manhattan renames the DC Universe as, I shit you not, the Metaverse. (laughs) Right? Right. And then decides, what if I fuck around in time? Mm -hmm. And basically he fucks around in time. He's shown to fuck around in time by 
doing two things. One, nudging Superman's rocket forward in time again. Mm-hmm. And two, stealing the Green Lantern from Alan Scott after the train crash. Mm-hmm. So there is no Alan Scott, so then there's no Justice Society anymore. Mm-hmm. You then see... Do you remember Superboy Prime, right? Of course, yeah. Very much so. So, Dr. Manhattan kind of becomes Superboy Prime for a second. Like, literally? Train transforms no, into no, him? Not li- no, not oh, literally. See, that would have uh, been awesome. His narration basically goes... Uh, Superman, who is now the new 52 Superman, mm-hmm. uh, is more alienated, is more isolated, doesn't have any friends. I relate to him more. Which, A, you know, is maybe just literally meant to be read on the surface. Dr. Manhattan was alienated. Sure. But I can't, like, I can't do that. The first time I read that line, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, is this, is he being bitchy about the people who did this stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, is he, is he, is he doing some sort of meta commentary on the people who created these stories and or the people who like these stories? Mm-hmm. Like, is, is he doing, like, is he blatantly doing another Superboy Prime? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, Wally West shows up and is like, I know what you did, and they're going to find you, and they're going to fix it. And Dr. Manan's like, the metaverse is alive, and it's coming to get me. <laughs> huh. That's the fucking comic. Whew. Wow, that's the comic that you're saying that everyone wanted to see from... I know. Okay. Didn't say want to see. I said that's comic ever expected to see. Oh, I see. I see. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because I'm like, like it, it really is the one where I was like, this is what everyone thought Doomsday Clock was going to be. Is it? Yeah, I think a lot of people expected. It, I mean, literally the continuity part of Doctor Manhattan's changes of like DC Universe, but also Jeff Johns trying his best Alan Moore impression. Mm-hmm. And and just being like, ah, but Luke, he's also making a commentary about the DC Universe. <laughs> like, it felt like all the, like, uh, I don't want to say cliches, but like all the jokes, mm-hmm. all the all the, the thing, like, came home to roost in this issue. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you and I have discussed this. I kind of figured when Doomsday Clock was announced, I'm like, okay, we're going to see the comedian get hit with a batarang. But that has not happened yet, has it? Nope. Okay. Well, obviously, you're I'm from the. For- too late. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get that. No. No. But, I, but, you, but did, you did get Rorschach and, and Batman have a thing, didn't you? Yeah, they didn't really have a thing. I mean, I got through up to issue four, and it was literally Alfred makes Rorschach waffles, and then Batman's literally takes him to Arkham Asylum and goes, Oh, look in that room it. over there. Yeah, which yeah. was just which like. I- I've got to be honest, I kind of love that. I yeah. genuinely kind of love that. Yeah, no, that part I was don't really... I this. You're clearly not saying, yeah. I'm just going to look in the asylum, see you later. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, don't worry, Batman said he's come to Jesus moment where he's like, no, but wait, it's all true. Yeah, but again, I don't know how to describe it, Graham. I'm just saying what you are saying that people wanted from Doomsday Clock or were expecting from Doomsday Clock, I'm like... I'm not even, a. I'm not even sure they're getting that because I kind of feel like I mean, in the sense of like you're like you're like I don't think anyone expected the meta aspects at all. I think they expected literally like the slugfest. Yeah, exactly. Like, Doctor Manhattan versus Superman, which yeah. to be fair, the last issue literally teases. Yeah, but it, so what teases? I mean, it's ten issues into yeah. twelve issues. Oh yeah, but we're, yeah, but that's that's the big finale, Jeff, and it's going to end up with like Superman, you know, sitting down with him and being like, hey. 
hey man, it's you know, it's it's all fine. Maybe you should try out kindness. Do you want a hug? Put some pants on, and then everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh, all I can say is is that I personally would like to hit uh, Jeff Johnson the dick with a wiffle ball bat for that because that should be like issue fucking two. Come well, what on. What do you do after that? I, I'm I'm being serious. What do you do after that? I don't know, Graham. Not- if I had any imagination, <laughs> I wouldn't be reading comic books. You know. if i wasn't dependent on other people's hackneyed imagination look no seriously look at like look at look at kurt busick george perez's beautiful jla avengers right like that has them like meeting and punching in the first issue and then it just goes on and builds from there in delightful ways you know what i mean like we could have had the issue of doomsday clock issue four that's the story of you know the jsa and the minutemen you know who are all the seven soldiers of victory like taking on german spies you know what i mean like it's just totally like i i see what's really funny is you say that i'm like yeah but i really don't want to see that no, that's because you're a terrible person, Graham. I mean, let's face I mean, it. That, that's true. No, no, no. You, a, you're not. But B, I'm like, why don't you? I mean, part of me, apart from you have no Honestly, fondness because, for the Watchmen characters. Yeah. that. that I mean, it's, a lot of it is that. But mm-hmm. a lot of it is also, it has been done. Right, it just hasn't been done with those characters, and I don't think there's enough to those characters to make it interesting. And honestly, it's been done so many times with fucking DC characters that I don't think that makes it particularly interesting either. Oh my god! Well, all I can say is is that listening to Jeff Johns make boring yapping noises about uh, like how great the DC universe is and how much hope there is before someone else gets like you know shot through the spine or have their like arm ripped off and replaced with an artificial <laughs> arm that's actually some villain's arm that's like planning oh, on oh, overthrowing Jeff. the rest of their body. Oh, you've just reminded me. I read, um, what's it called? The Rise of Arsenal, The Fall of Arsenal. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. This is the comic listeners may or may not remember that spun out of, oh, God, what was it called? Cry for Justice. Yes. Um, the, the James Robinson written a uh, miniseries from like 2008 maybe yeah really close 2009? to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um that ends with for literally no reason whatsoever apart from it wanted to be a story that quote-unquote had an impact uh like an entire city being destroyed right. by prometheus mm-hmm. uh, and, and then like green arrow kills prometheus mm-hmm. at the end but then for no fucking reason whatsoever, there are multiple like spin-off books or, or tie-in books yep. that take place between the final two scenes of that of Cry for Justice. Oh my god! But don't make it clear that they take place between the final two scenes. Wow! So the end of Cry for Justice is Green Arrow kills Prometheus. Right. Right. And then it goes into James Robinson's Justice League, which has lots of people being like, "We've got to look for Prometheus." And I remember reading it, being like, "So they just don't know he's dead?" But no. <laughs> The, the story is literally like five pages, like five issues in. It's like, now read the last two pages of Cry for Justice. Oh my and like, god. Seriously? Wow, that's holy And then you fuck. basically have characters come in and be like, I can't believe Green Arrow killed him. <laughs> and I was like, really? Is this really what's happening? <laughs> but, but um, so the rise of Arsenal, the fall of Arsenal, or whatever it's called, is the... Roy Harper has lost his daughter because she was in the city that was destroyed. Right. And so he goes off the deep end. Mm-hmm. 
but it's so badly written. Yes. That like he he gets hooked on heroin again, mm-hmm. and then hallucinates that his daughter is there telling him that she loves him, but he failed her. And he's like cuddling her and being like, no, no, it's fine. I'll stop all the bad men. And then he has like a moment of clarity and he's literally like cuddling the corpse of a cat yes. having disabled muggers. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because the whole like he used the he ta- arsenal attacked everyone with a dead cat was I remember everyone like losing their shit over that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's somehow worse than I've just made it sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. J.T. Kroll, right? Wasn't that? Uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's, it's genuinely, it's shockingly bad. It's one of those things where, you know, sometimes, Jeff, even I feel down on comics. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling this. This, You know, I think these comics are really bad. And then you go back and read something like this and you're like, well, every single comic being published today by DC Marvel is better than this comic. Well, yeah. If you think about you it, know, yeah. Every single one is better than, you know, the Rise and Fall of Arsenal. Right. And Rise and Fall of Arsenal is, it's, it's almost like Atlas, like lifting the rest of comic book mediocrity upon its shoulders. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, really, really true. Anyway, that's a, a pure digression. Uh, getting back to Doomsday Clock, I am not sure whether people will enjoy reading this comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would lay money that the majority of people listening to this podcast would not. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like I, I almost want to say like that almost doesn't matter because I'm not saying that this is the comic everyone has been waiting for with bated breath. I'm saying I think this is the comic that everyone was afraid of when this comic was announced. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Right. Like it's not. I'm not going. You know, this is the one. You guys pick it up. This is great. It's literally the opposite. It's the Remember all of you were making your doomsday clock jokes? Right. This is the one where Jeff Johns is like, ah, you guys had no idea. Right, right. Yeah, well, uh, so what do you think? Because I got to admit, I'm, I'm, it would be fun to maneuver back to the DC titles that I did read uh, this week. And Well, we have to go back jump. to Leviathan Rising at some point. Well, yes, but I do want to talk about... Some people that I saw on Twitter were making noises about the end of Heroes in Crisis and Doomsday Clock being out in the same week was kind oh, of crazy. Those, yeah, those two being out the same week with Superman, uh, Leviathan Rising, and Batman Last Night on Earth, mm-hmm. like, was the weirdest, most schizophrenic fucking week. Right. Well, but I mean, but I mean, right. There's that. But some people are like, hey. uh... Heroes in Crisis is such a weird reprimand to Jeff Johns' reprimands in Doomsday Oh, no, Clock. it's – it's yeah, the two of them are, are – like you can play those two off against each other really, really strongly because mm-hmm. literally again in Doomsday Clock, Wally West shows up as, you know, the avatar of hope, mm-hmm. which, you know, an issue of Heroes in Crisis was the thing Wally West was like, well, that's what made me crack up. Right. Like, I couldn't deal with people only seeing an avatar of hope as opposed to a person. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and the last issue of Years in Crisis, I know everyone hates it. Mm-hmm. But, I, like, it, it did land for me, to be honest. It really did. Mm-hmm. Again, not for a plot reason, mm-hmm. because there is so much about that that series that does not hold together in plot. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. What's the, um, what's the Lonely Island thing, the visual poem? The Bash Brothers call it like the visual poem. 
Yeah, uh, Heroes of Crisis is like a comic version of a visual poem. If you're going into it looking for like literally a plot that holds together, right? Mm, yeah. Like at all. Um, but the the there was something about the you basically have to forgive yourself. Like you did a shitty thing and you have to forgive yourself and you have to get over it. You can't live in this moment of self recrimination forever and you can't just go. I am an evil person. I need to die. Like there's some, that's be something beyond that landed hard for me. Mm-hmm. What's, what's interesting is that landed hard for me. And I was saying that to someone and they were just like, so it's Tom King being a parody of Tom King. <laughs> you know, this is the, this is the, the comic Tom King writes now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think has some truth to it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, it's, I, I, I very much am a sucker for that. You know, it, it, I very much am I'm here for stories where people are like, I have feelings and I really fucked up and I have to deal with my feelings. Um, but but I also think I also think that it's true that like Tom King is writing the same story over and over again. Well, sure, writing the same story is 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 one thing, but. Um... Don't you think that uh, it, I think I think as as interesting as a topic and as important as a as a f- topic is that that can be, isn't there something a little screwy about the fact that I mean from from what it sounds like I think I would have preferred if Heroes in Crisis had more or less pulled a full fear itself and brought back everyone that it that it murdered but like there's mass my understanding is there's massive amounts of time travel and yet yeah spoilers everyone the only person brought back at the end or the only two people brought back at the end are poison ivy and and wally west right you know everyone else is still dead and everyone else is still dead and i kind of have that weird like uh I, i mean it was one part of avengers endgame but i was like there was something else where i was like wait you're actually leave why are you leaving these people dead you know other than of course it's that idea of like oh wally's really gotta come to terms with some shit but i i do think that there's something a little weird slash uneven about making someone into making making a hero and again something that someone else who was steering arguably the guy who was the well, the guy steering the universe was, yeah. was, was the, as like the this is the guy who's going to save everyone and turning him into the actually he's the fuck up who's ruined everything. Well, he's 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 I mean, I'm OK with there being a fuck up who 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 screws up everything, but he's literally an accidental mass murderer. And I know that comics are a little bit of a um work at their best as a form of you know ham-fisted allegory where you know you can get something like that in say i feel like mr miracle does a slightly better job of uh everything well yeah of everything but it's but especially kind of a little bit of like okay i'm putting this character in this in this somewhat atypical place for this character um, you know, in part because uh, I, I'm talking about what it means to be in that place, and this character sure, is the best yeah. way to talk about that. But well, on, honestly, I think, uh, well, first of all, Heroes in Crisis is a mess. Mm-hmm. It like Mr. Merkel has a all manner of consistency, and honestly, a through line that Heroes in Crisis just does not. Mm-hmm. 
Heroes in Crisis is shockingly uneven mm-hmm. on any number of levels. Yeah, uh, it is like really badly paced, mm-hmm. and a lot of the pacing I think literally comes from they're trying to write for guest artists in order to leave the quote unquote main story for for um, Clayman. Clayman. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is you literally are like, okay, the story's going here. Here's two issues to fill in. Mm. We're, you know, characters talk about their emotions and then we get back to the main story. But now we have no space to finish the main story because the series is already like two issues longer than it was supposed to be. Mm. And we, we literally just can't resolve some plot lines because we don't have space. Wow. You know? No, really. There's, there's stuff. Uh, that you, how much have you read uh, of your stress? I've, I think I've read, I read the first issue, and because okay, there's no so, other so issues it, up on so, DC Universe, I okay. haven't read anything else. Yeah. Like throughout the series, uh, so Sanctuary exists, and everyone's recording their their confessions, right? Right. And it's stated in the comic, all the confessions are destroyed. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's nothing to hack into. All the confessions are destroyed, mm-hmm. and then all the confessions are leaked to Lois Lane. Right. She gets them all. And she goes public with it. Right. And she releases them all. She publishes them. Mm-hmm. And she, she talks about the existence of Sanctuary. And it's played up as this, like, big fucking deal. Right. There is literally none of the Fallout scene. Mm-hmm. You get Lois publishing and Superman telling this to, Clark, to Batman and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And you never see Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman... Or Lois Lane again in the series. Really? Holy smokes, that's ballsy. <laughs> you just don't, right? Wow. At Oof. all. They Oof. never appear again. And also, that happens on like maybe issue seven mm-hmm. and perhaps even issue six. And it's a nine issue series. Wow. Right? Wow. And that stuff never, never reappears. Well, I got to say, in many ways, it really is the perfect companion piece to Doomsday Clock because Doomsday Clock itself also had characters that drop out for multiple issues at a time. Oh, yeah, I still have. Like, yeah, yeah, where the fuck Rorschach? Or for that matter, where's Ozymandias and Lex Luthor, who I want to say in issue two team up? And here we are in issue 10 and they haven't showed up again. Um, Yeah, but, but, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Heroes in Crisis is staggeringly uneven. Mm hmm. Plots go nowhere because of the structure of the fill-ins, which I really think was there to give Clayman more time and to theoretically keep the book monthly, even though I'm fairly sure it slipped off monthly. Um, like, the, 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 the pacing is, is a fucking mess. They bring in interludes from people that, honestly, you don't need so much. Mm-hmm. There's, like, one issue of interludes early on, mm-hmm. which works, which lands, because it's like, you know, here's the main story and here's the story of someone who died. Mm-hmm. Right, and it does land, but you can't go back to that well repeatedly, and they go back to that well two more times. <laughs> right, and that and does like, sound like Tom King. <laughs> right, but, but I know, but that's but that's a real problem, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you do it once, and you're like, you know, this this has impact. This means something. You're trying to humanize the victims. Great, mm-hmm. you can't do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, because you do it once, and you've made your points, and then you have like two more issues of quote unquote the main storyline. And then to do it again, it's just like, okay, but why are you doing this? We, we've got the message that these people aren't cannon fodder. Right. But by basically presenting us with another, like, oh, you, do, you don't know my particular tale of woe. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it feels like you are treating them as cannon fodder. And honestly, it feels like you're doing the thing that the comic is not meant to do, which is treat their problems as interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And as as basically like uh, something that is there to feed the voyeurism of the audience. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it starts contradicting its 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 working theory. Mm. Uh, and then you get the, like the last couple of issues, and the last issue again, like I said, the the, the emotional argument that Wally presents to other Wally hit for me, and actually really worked for me, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from a plot perspective, I mean, what the fuck? Right. It's it. I mean, it genuinely doesn't make sense to me mm. because the more or less established by the last second last issue wally has killed everyone by mistake he feels guilty and so he runs away and tries to make things right quote unquote which involves him by the way piecing together all the um the electronic data to rebuild the confessional files mm. which he can do because he can run faster than light mm-hmm. bob haney science is here my friend yes uh but then he sent it to Lois because only if people know that heroes hurt will they understand that heroes are people too. Which again, <laughs> exactly, right? God. You know, is is horrifically flawed logic at best. And again, you can see where King's going, mm-hmm. but it's also just it like it's clumsy as shit. Mm-hmm. And also, it's not true mm-hmm. because it shows such disdain for for honestly, like everyone else in this universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, like, the only way they will see their, the superheroes as human is if they know that, like, they're traumatized as well. Mm-hmm. Really? Really? Because that's bullshit. Right. Um, but, no, there's that. But So there's so there's a, a Wally who's trying to, to do all this, and then he decides that once he's done all this, he's going to go back in the past, and the younger Wally is going to kill the older Wally in the past, so that there's a Wally corpse mm-hmm. for everyone. Right? Right. Except... In the last issue, the older Wally goes back to talk to the younger Wally, but to talk him out of killing himself mm-hmm. um, and change his hist- his own history. And then there's still a Wally corpse because both of them go to the 20th century to clone Wally. <laughs> Wally clone corpse. <laughs> right? God. And the book ends with two different Wally Wests still running around. Oh, wow. One of them jail. Right. And one of them literally just running out there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait. <laughs> like, what actually ha- Like, how can there still be two? Mm-hmm. If it was a closed loop, that makes sense. But if you destroy the closed loop, why is there still two? Mm-hmm. And also, like you said, if you're changing the past, mm-hmm. why not go back to before the accident happens, mm-hmm. save everyone, yes. and then close by cloning every closing everyone and get, leaving their bodies there. Yeah. Right. But that's that's not in it. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure someone after the fact can say they did that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but it's just like it's not in and so the plot doesn't make sense and has these massive like gaps in them. Mm-hmm. You know? And and you can see Tom King's talked about this before. He talked about when the series started that basically he went to the deal and was like, okay, what characters can I play with? Mm-hmm. What characters can I do something with and like 
basically a reboot. And Didio at the time was like, I said Harley Quinn and Booster Gold. Mm-hmm. And it's clear by the, the fourth issue. He clearly said Booster, maybe Harley, although I don't quite believe it because she doesn't really go through any catharsis, but very definitely Poison Ivy and Wally West. Mm-hmm. Because Poison Ivy essentially becomes Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. She regrows herself from a flower. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Wally has this like, you know, there are literally two different Wallys running around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And both of them are like, I'm so tortured and, and you know, I have to make up for my past. How can I do it? Well, one of me can go to jail and the other one can run and be the best hero ever. Can or become what? penance. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's but you can see the joints. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you get to the final issue and you're like, okay, so so this was the one where you're like, okay, I promised them I was going to give them like, a, you know, a new booster series or a new Poison Ivy series or like a new Wally West series mm-hmm. from this. Mm-hmm. And it like it feels like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there was an article, an interview with King that was run after the fact. And I don't know if this was like when he got the sense of things or just, you know – I mean, I think we should talk about because it's been a while since since we did Drock, and oh, of course we have like, we, we've thing. done so we've done we've missed so much news. We have, and it's fascinating because the Tom King news is such a weird <laughs> Tom, flip, Tom King news right? in the last two weeks is yeah. nuts. Yeah, totally, totally. So it's you know I, I'm sure people listening to us know because this news is not new. Uh, you know, Tom King was basically being taken off of Batman before the end of his run. And then it turned out that he is going to be getting his uh, a spinoff book where he can uh, complete the story. Or so we are led to believe. And then on top of things, Ava uh, uh, DuVernay, like openly announced uh, that King was going to be co-writing New Gods with her, and that news broke and broke big across Twitter, it seemed like. So. It really did, right? It was mm-hmm. actually very surprising how big that news was. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I don't think that news would have broken as big if it wasn't for everything that happened the week before. Oh, completely. Completely. You know, I think, I think it broke big purely because everyone was like, oh, I thought Tom King was fucked. Well, that's Clearly it. Not. It's an amazing reversal of fortune. In that sense. Um, so I have a new working theory for all of this. Ooh. I I should say, and you know this because I've talked to you like off recording about mm-hmm. this. Um, n- not to boast, but very often like I hear stories, I hear things, I, I get like the inside gossip and things. Right. And when it came to Tom, Cru- Tom Cruise, I was going to say Tom King and Batman. Oh my God. Tom Cruise on Batman would be amazing. When it came to Tom King on Batman, there are so many contradictory versions out there mm-hmm. that I have absolutely no fucking idea what happened. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Uh, there's a bleeding cool version of events which tracks with a lot of the stories that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the sake of it, like Jeff, if you're not leaking in the show notes, people just look on bleeding cool and see what they had to say about it. Mm. Um, but I don't know if that's true. I really don't. There are so many different versions and and versions that go from, like the outright unbelievable mm-hmm. to the amazingly believable because it basically relies on everyone being inept and also somewhat scared for their jobs. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That does sound right. Yeah. Right off the bat. Can you talk uh, about I any know, of the I, unbelievable ones? 
Can you, uh, can oh, you repeat them out loud? Uh, I won't name names, uh-huh. but there are unbelievable ones that say like specific other creators at DC got Tom, lobbied to get Tom King removed so they could write Batman. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, there are ones that are Tom King outright insulted one of the higher ups to their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, like it's, it's just completely falls under unbelievable for me. Like mm-hmm. 100%. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it goes from that all the way through to, you know, literally a, a really bad game of whispers mm-hmm. that ends up with losing his job, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, and there are, there are like, you know, six or seven entirely separate versions of, of what happened. Right. They, they all feature like different casts of characters as well. That's the crazy thing. Wow. It's not, you know, it's not even like other rumors where you can basically like take five stories and go, well, this is probably what happened based on if you triangulate. Right. You can triangulate from all these different versions of Tom King stories. Because if you like assume that everyone named in all of these stories is somehow involved, it includes basically everyone at DC Comics. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. So I have no idea. But uh, I suspect, and I have nothing, nothing to pin this on. I have no inside, like, scoop, nothing. This is purely my speculation. Mm-hmm. I suspect that Batman Catwoman, his 12-issue series, mm-hmm. did not exist when he was initially taken off of Batman. Mm-hmm. I think it started to exist when someone went, you know he's writing the New Gods film, right? Mm-hmm. We can't piss him off. Like we have to make this good somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I said, I have no inside scoop. Well, if it makes you that. feel better, I sort of have that. That was a theory that I'd contemplated and was very partial to as well. You like know? it just, it honestly just feels to me that like he was taken off of Batman, and then someone was like, "We can't afford for him to leave DC right now." Yeah, yeah. like he's this this high profile thing is going to be announced. And we need to to fix this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow! You know, because um, definitely put it this way: in all the different versions of the story, mm-hmm. Tom getting given a replacement book was not in that any version of that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Like, no, not at all. And like I said, I heard wildly divergent versions of the story, and in no version was he getting a replacement book. For until like Wednesday evening. Good lord. Um, yeah, it was it was a whole thing. It was fascinating. But I do think that at some point someone went, Oh shit, he's writing that Ava Duvernay film, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um we've gotta fix this. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how all of a sudden it's like, Hey, twelve issue series. Mm-hmm. I mean, fine, but it, I come back to again, like the that's like you can't convince me that was an intentional point, right? No, right. Because in what world is he gets to complete the, the story the way he wants in a different book after telling everyone it was going to be in the first book? Yeah. And after the story has been going around that he's been fired for three days because <laughs> this is, this is great. This is how we at DC want things to play with our talent. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, like, there's no way. And also, if there was that book, 
like that existed from day one. Mm-hmm. Put that story out as soon as the rumor breaks that he's been fired. Yes, not not oh, days don't afterwards. Put it out. Yeah. Don't put it out at three o'clock in the, in on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, no it it was it was it was a fascinating little uh, couple of weeks in that sense. Again, the the reversal I felt of fortune sort of made sense for the other things you know the the batman spinoff book in the air stuff but yeah who boy i gotta tell you um and yeah it, it's been it's been a thing but at the same time when that was happening uh i i, I spared a thought for oni press and lion forge who must have been going thank god someone else has fucked up more than we have well i have to say it's really been the the month of people fucking stepping in it right because it's like Oni and Lionforge, and then these, this shit happens, and Oni and Lionforge are like, oh, thank God. Then, you know, Priest goes and gives that interview uh, for Vampirella. Which is just, oh, boy. Yeah, right? Oh, boy. And, yeah, and, okay, so let, let's do them in order. Sure. Lionforge and Oni. Yeah. Uh, it really was like a month ago. It was pretty much like after we recorded the last way it was. That's right. Um, it is announced that Oni and Lionforge are merging, is how it's initially announced. Then, when more details come out, it basically looks very much like Lionforge has bought Oni, mm-hmm. um, but kept the Oni editorial team in charge. Mm-hmm. Except they haven't, mm-hmm. because a bunch of Oni folk are laid off. A bunch of Lionforge folk are laid off as well. Yes. Um, and the optics could barely have been worse. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the reason for the layoffs, and I have friends at Oni. Mm. You know, I so I, I like when I first heard about the merger, I was like, "This is good. This is great." Right. Because like I like I trust the people at Oni. I I think they have good taste, and I think that like they can do a lot with you know the Lionforge imprints. You know, like Roar and 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 Cub. I was like, okay, like I can see this being a success, and and then. You know, within hours, you're seeing people being like, you know, Oni is laying off like it's only people of color. Yes. And, you know, and, and like it's disabled stuff. Mm-hmm. And Lionforge are just like, Lionforge are, were dropping like all of their editors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like, oh shit, this is going really, really badly. Yeah. They issued no statement about it beyond like a really bland thing to sci-fi wire which is basically like hey guys keep paying attention you liked us before you'll love us now um and then uh one of the the laid off oni editors like put out a, a tweet that was basically like okay so we've decided that we're not going to take our severance pay because we were basically told to accept the severance pay we'd have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and non-disparagement mm-hmm. right which was shitty as shit and then, like, oh, by the way, our severance pay was like two thousand dollars. Yeah, it was like nothing. It was like brutally nothing, you know. Yeah. So, all, like, all of that looked very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Ari Yarwood quit Oni just I want to say last week or maybe the week before, mm-hmm. which I think was was fairly like I don't think many people noticed. Mm-hmm. I but, didn't. Yeah. Like, makes me really nervous because not only was she a great editor. But she's the one who set up like Limerence Press, mm. their, their uh, adult imprint, mm-hmm. and has been the one helming 
honestly, like a bunch of titles that have gone on in really good press. Mm-hmm. You know, and she 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 resigned. Mm-hmm. Um, which again doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. and really doesn't feel good. Considering my first thought after like seeing all the bad shit go down was Limerence is probably going away. Mm-hmm. Like I can't see this combined company keeping, you know, a book that publishes uh, an imprint that publishes OJ Sex Toy and you know the guide to they them pronouns mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just like there's just something about it that makes me go this this is not gonna stick around. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's really sad if it is. If it's true, if I'm right, that's really sad. Mm-hmm. Because there isn't that there isn't really much outlet for that elsewhere. You know? Yeah. So that like that's a that's a real loss if if that if that does go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it doesn't, I honestly can't help but feel that Oni and Lionforge have destroyed their own reputation mm-hmm. through how poorly this has gone. Yeah. Like utterly decimated it. Yep. It's it's really genuinely tragic to see just how poorly this has been handled. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're now three weeks after this merger, and there has not been a proper statement from O'Neill Lionforge mm-hmm. to basically apologize, which is what I think they need to do. I think they need to apologize more than anything. I think they basically need to go, you know what? We fucked up. We fucked up our messaging. We fucked up in not letting the people be let go know that they were valued. We honestly fucked up in our choice of who to let go. Mm. Can't, you know, we the, yeah, up. but they can't say that, though. Can't say, I know they can't say that, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they, there needs to be some form of apology. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that takes, but I think there has to be some form of apology. Right. Um, and there's been nothing. There's been silence. Yeah. You know? And, and there's been silence at the same time as... Like PR is still going out about Oni projects and Lineforge projects, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's not like they're keeping their head down entirely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it just—it really is just never before have like two companies completely just oh yeah dramatically killed yeah. their their reputation like one fell swoop. Yeah. Yep. It, yeah. I mean, it's genuinely impressive, mm-hmm. uh, horrifically so, mm-hmm. but. I don't like. I don't think someone could have set out to do this on purpose and done it in quite this way. If that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. No. It's uh. Oh, oh, oh. It's some. It's it's some ugsome stuff. Do we do we want to then move on and talk about Priest? And we also have Image Comics in. I think it's Joshua Luna, Comics. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, Marvel Comics a thousand. Oh right, yeah, that's right. And and the cover artwork from there, there really has been like a lot happening in like yeah. the last month. And just for whatever reason, like we weren't around to talk about it. Yes. So now that like a month, it's like Jeff, what what do we go from? I know. Uh, okay, I'm the one who talked about a line for Janoni all the time, so you can talk about the priest thing because honestly, I think all I'd have to say would be like, fuck. Yeah the the priest thing was kind of a mess. He gave an interview. A uh, Chris Aaron uh, Arant Arant. I never know how Arant. to pronounce. Arant. I also said Arant. I, also said Arant. I, I don't know, but yeah. I also said uh, Chris Arant uh, at Newsarama. I think it was or is it CBR? It's Newsarama. No, it's Newsarama. He's Newsarama. Yeah. Okay. Uh, interviewed Priest uh, because Priest was uh, coming in as the new writer of Vampirella, which seemed like kind of a weird, quirky 
mix and so it felt very priest-like right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah very much so it's kind of like oh that's kind of unexpected but could be really interesting in the course of talking ab- about vampirella i guess i'm not i'm not quite sure how to phrase it because you know uh, as as an African American man, it's hard to say. You know, if Priest wasn't an African American man, it would be very easy to say uh, his privilege was showing. I guess, but because you can't quite entirely put it that way, Priest just made some comments that were um, uh, old fogeyish in the worst ways, and the kind of thing that you have heard from. Um, usually rich celebrities in the wake of the Me Too era, which were, you know, of the, well, golly, now I'm afraid to talk to any woman now. What with the Me Too? I mean, I'm an old fashioned guy and I open a door for a woman and she's going to accuse me of, you know, uh, sexually assaulting her. And it was just can, like, can I, can I just read what he said? Cause like, it's, <laughs> this is it's, why I do okay. such a bad job. Please the do. Basic- the basic argument is simple. Where do you draw the line between women's liberation and women's exploitation, and who gets to draw it? Who gets to define femininity, and why should an extraterrestrial have to submit to that definition? It's like the world woke up in the last few years and realized we actually have two genders, and both of them matter. So now we have heightened scrutiny of themes and behaviors, and that poor bastard Joe Biden gets caught up in the switches. I'll confess, I'm terrified of women, because I'm a Joe Biden. I was taught to pay a lady a compliment and open doors, and I want to be friendly and accessible, but I'm absolutely terrified of having my good intentions taken in a bizarrely paranoid light. It is comical to me that I'm far too often seen as creepy by women, especially black women, because they have been conditioned by their personal experience and their media consumption to misinterpret a simple hello. These days, I cannot pay a woman a compliment without a legal preamble and insurances that know I'm not hitting on you, and even then, I get the skunk eye of suspicion. Yeah. Which is insulting because this guilty until proven innocent defensive posture presumes I'm other people oh. or that the bar set so low for me that I'll jump into bed with just anybody I happen to oh, meet. Oh, God. It's like just gone too far now to the point where women are not just being protected but being alienated to some extent because I have no earthly clue how to deal with them and I'm frankly scared to shake their hands. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Can, can, can we also talk about the fact that Arant then followed up? Mm hmm. Please uh, send a follow-up uh, emails after so, so the fact. Mm-hmm. No, it's the uh, above interview was conducted via email earlier this week, and we received all of Mr. Priest's response along with our, all our original questions. Newsarama asked Priest if we could respond to follow-up questions on Wednesday, Friday by email. He agreed, and those questions and answers are below. Um, and they actually let's say Newsram says empathizing with Joe Biden without citing the actual specific behavior he's under scrutiny for stating things like this amazing intoxicating glow and yes smell of a woman and by offering your quote often seem seems creepy by women it seems like intentionally inviting the same sort of reaction and assumptions you state you're afraid of and inviting the same scrutiny Biden is under mm-hmm. was this your intent and are you prepared for pushback to your words and questions to be asked and he goes, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. But let's start by saying I seriously doubt anyone reading this is not aware of the Biden issue to which I'm referring. I come neither to defend Biden nor to bury him. So I think you're probably taking my poor Joe reference a bit too seriously. Mm. I wasn't trying to litigate Biden, only to make a point about how hypersensitive and overly politicized their nation is <laughs> and how this will impact Vampirella in her series. Oh, God. 
disparate quotes to paint me as some kind of deviant makes that point for me. <laughs> I stand by my statements. Quote, the amazing intoxicating glow and yes, smell of a woman, unquote, is something difficult if not impossible to convey in literature, which was my point. But your question was about me sitting in a taxi with a near-naked woman, and I answered that honestly. The point was relevant to my understanding of the challenges of, and conflicts Vampirella will face in this series. This is the environment Vampirella finds herself in. People are misinterpreting her actions, words, and motives. That is why I mentioned it's place the work we are doing with Vampirella in context. Oh, God. They asked him about the gender thing. Yes, which when I first yeah. – yeah, that was when I rolled my eyes so hard I hurt my head and was just like, oh, God. And then it just managed – I mean that's relatively early on. It's sort of a, an amuse bush of nightmarishness it's, it's, before really, moving on it's to – It's really, yeah. really terrible because he – so he basically like goes to the dictionary definition of gender. Oh, God. And then says, it was a simple interview. I was promoting a comic, and as a really busy writer, I was typing really fast and speaking honestly about engaging with you. What I won't do, not even for my own safety, is censor myself or try and anticipate every horrible way someone might choose to misinterpret something I've written mm. or said. If anything, that just makes my point for me about how free speech is being compromised. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really, really bad. And, you know, Dynamite has had uh, some controversy, what with their arrangement with Ethan Van Skyver over yep. the um, variant covers. And yes. so there's a little bit of worrisome, uh, I, I don't know if you noticed or had seen someone else point this out, but in that um, Newsarama interview, which runs with a little bit of preview art, you get uh, Vampirella like by the remains of a ruined jet. And the jet yeah. logo is, I think it's called Ascend. And you've got someone making the OK sign, which, of course. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't even see that. Yeah. You... Oh, God. Yeah. It's called a, fa- a firm. And yes, a firm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So on top of everything fucking else, you've got a you know, a coded white supremacist symbol popping up on the on the preview art uh, in, in in a way that is just going to fuck up all kinds of lines. So, yeah, it's it's just a huge clusterfuck, basically. And just one of those things where it just. Oh, boy, I do not know. It really feels like, um, you know, the weird part is I'm like, it's like some Grant Morrison comic where like, you know, Mercury goes into retrograde and everything just turns to utter shit. You know, it's just that whole thing. I mean, priests, I'm, I'm just, God help me. Like, please. I know there's all sorts of things that happens to your brain when you get old. Don't let me become that. Just some stupidly narrow-minded and defensive. Good crap. It's just what's what was I think arguably the most upsetting thing for me was seeing priests go to that particular well to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where basically someone is like, "Okay, but are you aware of what you're saying?" And they're like, "I can't believe you're censoring me." Yeah. Right. Right. And it's like, no, dude. Like, we're literally just asking you. Like, do you know what you're saying? Because it could seem bad, and your response makes me think, oh, it's bad. It is bad. It's not accidentally bad. Like, right. it's bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. So ugh, I don't have really any deep thoughts on that other than just a, a what a car crash and B um, I'm kind of, I guess in a way it, what I find fascinating and frustrating is I kind of wish that there was somebody that could reach out to him that he would listen to and kind of, talk about this because it's so there's so many unexamined biases there and i don't necessarily know if priest is that capable of of examining them and understanding them you know like i didn't uh that book of essays that he published that he Mm self-published about the about him getting sacked from quantum and woody the reboot and stuff like I didn't get I didn't read all of that, but the parts that I read, it was really interesting how much of it Priest basically kept saying things along the lines of like, this is how I work and this is always how I work and this is just the way it's gotta be done. Like, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and taking some crazy umbrage over like the fact that the editors were asking for him to like write up a synopsis of the arc or something like that. And he's like, I don't work that way. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, you know, and, and there's, there's a point where, uh, cause I think a lot of people saw that book and saw him say things like that. And we're like, you look, you know, he's a charming curmudgeon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is a point where like, there's a line. Mm-hmm. Curmudgeon becomes, you know, like, I, I don't know how to put it. Right. Like, you know, retrogrades, Reaction really old shit. Well, I mean, it's sort of right. Curmudgeon becomes, you know, essentially, it's like trailblazer becomes arrogant, becomes entitled, you know. Yes, and and that's that's the part that's really that is so hard. Is like, no, look at what you're doing and how it's from the area of like you're so fully vested in your defensiveness about you. How do these women feel when somebody that they don't know is talking to them? You know, it's just so, and then the gender thing. Oh Lord. Anyway. So that was, like I said, then, then there's whatever else that's going on with dynamite behind the scenes where people are, which is so, like I, I am, I am in two minds about the what is going on a bit with dynamite behind the scenes thing, mm-hmm. because I wish they had turned down Ethan Manskyber, mm-hmm. but at the same time he's taking advantage essentially of like the retailer variant program. No, no, I'm aware. I'm, a, I'm you know, yeah. So it's like, how much of it is them literally just being greedy, yeah, versus signing on with what he's selling, right, right, and again. I wish they'd said no, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is a difference for me. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, again, which makes it, uh, but kind of in that weird way of like, well, you got to keep your eye on them. You know what I mean? Like they no, can't exactly, like, you know? exactly. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like you know, or or you know, I'm I'm I giving them the benefit of doubt they don't deserve. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, and I guess the next couple of months will tell, but it just seemed like a really unfortunate, 
uh, pileup for what should have been a potentially kind of charming, like, oh, here's a licensed property and here's a talented creator that you wouldn't expect to see on it. Let's see what comes out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, and then you saw that and you're like, oh, well, fuck. Exactly. Never, never mind. Never then. mind. Yeah. And then I guess I guess you're right. I guess the whole Marvel Comics 1000, the announcement, but especially that variant cover, I guess, is currently the most controversial part, right? I would say the variant cover is probably the most controversial part. The announcement is for people who literally don't get comics news for anywhere other than us. Um, <laughs> God help in you. August, Marvel is putting out uh, an 80th anniversary special issue called Marvel Comics 1000. The numbering. Honestly, seems to come from the idea that there has been yeah. like Detective Comics thousands and Action Comics thousands, mm-hmm. and they sold well for DC. Yeah, um, I someone somewhere who I should point out is not attached to the project mm-hmm. and does not work for Marvel argued that it's called Marvel Comics thousand because if Marvel Comics had been continuously in publication, it would have reached thousand issues. Sure, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would only be like nine hundred and sixty because the only reason, well, the only reason action and detective hit a thousand in time for the series was they went bi monthly for a while, ah. and action it went for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there was literally like playing with the figures in order to get there. Wow. So like so yeah, Marvel Comics even if I'd been published monthly wouldn't have gotten there in time. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it, it's an eighty page ten dollar one shot. Maybe, but we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's a jam book. Mm-hmm. Every page is by a different creative team. Mm-hmm. And theoretically, it's telling a story? Mm-hmm. Question mark? Definitely, there's a framing sequence by Al Ewing, who's apparently the writer behind the whole thing. And honestly, it's like the first sign that maybe this is going to be more than the cash crab looks at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it was initially announced, it was, it was it far, sort of everyone heard of it at first because it was the, the comic that C.B. Sabalski tweeted about, like, oh, it's been a few years since Marvel sold more than a million issues of a comic. I think it's time we should do it again, as if, like, that was intentional, which is yeah. still my favorite whole thing. Yeah, we took it easy on you guys. We didn't <laughs> want to sell that much, get many comics anyway. But now we think we've everyone's had a rest. It's time to have a hit again. Yeah, I know. Isn't it? It's Shit. so funny. It was like, oh, sure. Mar- let's. I will. I will give Sobolski this. If there was any company that I could see that could, like could sell a million copies whenever it chose to, but chose not to just because of disdain for its customers and retailers, it'd oh, be sure, Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. 100%. Um. So they but it's that comic, and then they announced it by in genuinely the worst way possible, like one hundred percent a terrible way, which is. On Wednesday, there were creative teams with no project announced released as print ads in that week's comics. Thursday, other creators used the same, like, ugly as sin, like, design, logo, to announce that they were also doing a mystery project to Marvel, and here were their creative teams. And then uh, on Friday, they were like, okay, I don't know, maybe it was Wednesday had the comics and the, the... the, the social media and then Thursday they announced it, whatever it was um, and then there was the day after the social media uh, rollout there was the uh, the New York Times story mm. that was basically like hey you guys 
Marvel Comics 1000, isn't this exciting? And everyone was like, what is it? And they're like, it's a, it's Marvel Comics 1000, you guys. Yeah. Let's go. Like, page, <laughs> page, not page counts, price? No, we're not going to talk about that. It's Marvel Comics 1000, it's really exciting. And you know, you've got quotes from like Tom Brevoort being like, yeah, it's really hard. It's been really hard to put it together. <laughs> um, but, but in all of this, like when they were rolling out the creative teams, it got a lot of attention for basically having, you know, let's say 140 creators named and like seven of them were women or something terrible yeah, like that. Right. right. Like it, the, the ratio was really genuinely terrible. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a lot of people were talking about it, which led to me getting in, I'm going to call it a fight more. I was being harangued by a very popular Marvel creator in my Twitter DMs for like an hour, for like oh, a solid hour. Oh God. Um, which then, Two days later, three days later, DC announced they're doing the hardcover version of Detective a Thousand, and that it would include a story by Alan Grant. Mm. And I was like, "Holy fuck, Alan Grant's doing a story!" And that same Marvel creator was like, "But they're just a cis white male. Why are you such a hypocrite?" <laughs> and I was like, "Are you fucking joking me? This is nuts." Um, yeah. So good on you, unnamed Marvel creator. Well uh, done. What nuts? Go to go to town in your brain, trying to think up who it actually is. I'm not going to tell you. But go to town and like internally and try to imagine it's your favorite Marvel creator of choice. I know. Um, I'm like, oh, you know. Yeah, so that was that was fun. But yeah, so so they did this. It was finally in solicits like a couple of weeks later, and it, they were like, okay, it's it's 96 pages, and it's ten dollars. And everyone was like, Oof. okay, but it's an eight. It's an eighty-page story because it's a it's a, a page for every year the company's been around. Mm-hmm. So what are the other sixteen pages? Like you know, four of them I guess are going to be like the front, outside the front, inside the front, the back outside the back inside covers. Mm-hmm. But that's still another twelve pages of something. Credit. Is, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, yeah, when they're rolling out the creators. You would think that they would have led with the biggest names, and they just didn't. Yeah. Like, Neil Gaiman's contributing, Chris Claremont's contributing, and they weren't, like, they were only listed on the, like, the, the graphic that has the entire creative team. Wow. They weren't pulled out at all. Mm-hmm. Super, like, it was all super weird. And you had people being like, it's the impossible, like, this creative, the creative teams you never thought you'd see. It's Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver. And I'm like, but I've seen them. <laughs> Like, uh, Bleeding Cool had this thing where it was like, you know, it's impossible teams. No one ever thought they'd see. Can you believe Mark Wade's teaming up with John Cassidy? But John Cassidy's <laughs> now working for Humanoids. And I was like, Mark Wade's not working for Humanoids. Yeah. Wait, this is like the most obvious creative team. What, what is going on? <laughs> and they're like, can you imagine? <laughs> it's shocking. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. Is it going to sell a million copies? Only if Marvel cooks the books. Oh yeah, um, because like, for first of all, the one comic that broke a million copies this century is Star Wars issue one, mm-hmm. and it didn't properly break a billion because mm. four hundred thousand of those were in loot crates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Detective a Thousand is the second best comic selling comic of the, the century, and it topped out at like five nine six thousand, I think. Wow. Um. And I, I kind of figure that that's probably your limit. Mm-hmm. Unless you 
really try and goose it. So, for example, Marvel could break a million in terms of diamond numbers because if they do an overship, mm-hmm. they can get there because overships are for some reason counted as diamond sales, yes. even though they paid for them. Bullshit. Yeah, it is bullshit, but like they could do that. Right. Like if they if they need to get it to a million, they can do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But is it going to break a million on actual orders? No. Right. And. That strikes me as like a terrible misstep on CB Sabalski's part to launch the project by going, it's about time we sell a million copies again, because anything that doesn't sell a million is therefore underperformed. Right, right, yeah. Like this sure. this book could get orders of 750,000 copies, which is a massive success. Right. But it's literally three quarters of what CB Sabalski said it was going to make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For it's a flop. Well, uh, unless he's got chip, or there's a loot crate. Well, that's what I was going to say. Maybe they already like cut the deal. Although, th- or repopped it, bought it. Like you remember what happened with the the first Miller World Netflix book, right? Mm, yeah, right. Where where it's it quote unquote sold one hundred forty thousand, mm-hmm. and a hundred thousand of those was was to repop. Wow. To to get mentions. Man, man, that is some. Woof. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there there are ways they can go to the books, like yeah. I said, mm-hmm. but they'll have to to break a million. Yeah. There's not um there's genuinely not a million real orders out there for a project like this, not for $10. Yeah. No, and that's it, again sort of the idea of like there being uh I don't know if Marvel really would like get their $10 book into loot crate unless they like gave it to them you know but well it's like loot crate's got a budget per box i'm sure that is loot crate even still giving away comics i don't i don't know i i was... I, feel like, I feel like we haven't heard about that for a long time yeah 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 no it it seems like it isn't moving the numbers but i don't know if there was a thing made to adjust it so they don't influence sales like i have i honestly have no idea i gotta tell you so. Uh, so yeah, so that was Marvel Comics Thousand, but then in the the solicits, they showed a variant cover, mm-hmm. which is by I want to say his name is like Mister Renice or something. Mm-hmm. It's the person who's done the the collage covers for like Amazing Spider-Man Seven Hundred and everything, mm. and it's iconic scenes from Marvel's history, mm-hmm. including that iconic Marvel scene of Green Lantern and his boyfriend kissing from DC's Earth One Earth Two series <laughs> from 2012. <laughs> which is stunning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cuz it's cuz lots of people were like, you know, stop giving the intern shit. And it was like this wasn't done by an intern though. Mm-hmm. This is presumably a piece of artwork that someone got paid for. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a variant cover. Is no one actually fact-checking what comics these are from? If only to find out that you don't owe anyone royalties, right? Because right. like Nicholas Scott, who drew that drew that comic, the, the the DC comic, yeah, actually tweeted it out, going, "Okay, that's my comic. It's a DC comic. Am I getting royalties for this?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a legitimate question. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. obviously not. They're obviously, going to pull the, that image and like slap something else on top of it for the for the printed comic, right? But like. Does everyone else get royalties and, for that cover? Right. And like, of course not. Surely someone is – oh, yeah, of course not. But right. surely someone is at least checking what comics these things are from. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and the fact that it got, I mean, it got printed in previews magazine. <laughs> you know, it's not like something that they just released online. Mm-hmm. This got enough through the process that it got printed in previews magazine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. The fact that no one was checking up on that is nuts. I actually want to make some sort of cheap joke where it's like, yes, one of the four covers that Marvel actually showed in previews that month, you know. Oh, the, no, the, the, I want to say there's like a four-page spread of the of the Marvel Comics 1000 covers. Right. I'm sure there must be. I'm sure there must be. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's ugh. Ugh. Uh, wow. Okay, so we're almost even caught up on the news, Graham, because now I think we just have to talk about Image. And, I mean, I haven't really been checking Twitter closely, but I don't think anyone else has managed to completely fuck it up. Uh, no, I, I, I'm fairly sure that's it for the fucking up. But at the same time, the image thing was, woof, uh-huh. that was a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that really was a shocker. Uh, in part because, um, you know, it's because it's because it's Josh Luna who like. I sold well for image. Yes. I mean, that's really the thing that shocks me is, is that, you know, before uh, you got all those, um, you know, dudes coming from like Marvel and DC and jumping in, you know, to the image pool, like the Lunar Brothers uh, girls and the sword and there was uh, God. What's the other book apart from Girls? Oh, Ultra. I think you know sold well. Like, and they had a yeah, good yeah, name. Yeah, like... actually, like legitimate hits for Image. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just the fact that that uh, you know Josh Luna submitted his collection of, I guess it's a, a web comics collection that. Um, I really – I'm trying to find the story because, of course, it doesn't – the timing doesn't make any sense to me in a way because the book was published or not and that now it's being book, pulled. No, 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 no. So the book was Thank not you. published. Okay. Well, this, this is the verse – this is what he basically said. He has done a book about being uh, a Filipino creator and his experiences in the industry. Right. And he's done them as web comics and he was going to release a print edition through Image. Mm. He submitted it to Image and Image basically told him, mm-hmm. uh, no, it's like my the, the one partner whose wife is half Japanese, I think, mm-hmm. uh, apparently told him, my wife wouldn't get this. Why don't you make it more like you know, some Netflix show she watches, mm-hmm. which is shocking in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but they, they basically found new ways to refuse the book. Mm-hmm. Um, including at one point, like bringing in a lawyer and being like, no, it's probably litigious. Like you're saying mean things about Marvel. Marvel will sue us, which is just shocking. Come from him. Yeah. 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 No, you know, I, well, um, Right, right. That's so right. What, what I was going to say is that so the, the pulping bit is he said that um, basically after this, after this this like ongoing conflict with Image, Image has uh, destroyed stock of his last project and has pulled it from Comicsology. Wow. Right, right. Which right they pulp, pulped it and then and then pulled it digitally, which he is not. Yes. So right. He's, 
So this is all on Twitter. He said, two days later, I was informed that my best-selling comic, previously published through Image, would be removed from comicology and any remaining copies burned. Burning books to reduce inventory costs is normal, but I've never been told it would put an end to digital sales. Mm-hmm. Concerned they were going to raise all my books, I tried again to work with them. I gave them a detailed list of all my strips with potential legal risks and offered to modify them based on their recommendations, mm-hmm. but they haven't coming with answers or guidance. One cover, did, one cover change the partner did suggest, though, was to, quote, exclude other characters and focus on you. As a light-skinned Filipino-American, it's important to me to uplift dark-skinned Filipinos. Yet he was implying I should raise two characters that are my own IP. That's not a legal issue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's just... Well, and then he very smartly contrasts this with the way that Howard Chaikin's comic was supported, considering the controversial... <laughs> content that it had in the statements of support that image had it's at that point it's i was like oh boy joshua luna has got a pretty good discrimination case lined up here at this point which is just yes it's i mean it's it's genuinely you know i I, it's so not only is that bad that image hasn't released any form of statement Mm -hmm. and we're more than four hours after this is is really bad and honestly just makes me go all right so he's right mm-hmm. yeah do you know what I mean? yeah completely uh, i saw i saw a lot of people try and guess who the partner was yeah i uh i've had some theories about that as well but uh it doesn't we probably don't want to say them on air right? yes completely because well, i, I am convinced i know who it is yeah 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 I'm 100% convinced, but I also don't want to say it in case I open myself up for legal action. Yes. Yeah. So everyone, please just think of this as wait, what the home game and we'll all sort of play in silence. Yeah. Don't, unfortunately. don't comments or anything, please. Yeah. Cause yeah, <laughs> this, this could end up bad. Cause I, you're right. Like Luna has a really strong legal case here if he wants. I think so as well. Um, um, and it's just, and honestly, image not responding in any way. Yeah. Makes me think that either a they're not paying attention, which in which case shame on them. Wait, oh. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but but they uh, sorry they did respond and then they retracted it. So, what was the response though? Because apparently there's something completely cool that they then pulled back. Yeah, that they pulled back, and I, I did. Did you see it? I I did, but only because someone on uh Twitter screenshotted. I thought, and then. I didn't. Oh God, I probably should have searched. I probably should have saved it, and of course, I didn't. It wasn't great. It was. It was very much the. Um, they said shit like we actually showed this to two of our. Uh, you know, showed it in the office to people of color, and they didn't like it. And oh. No. Yeah. No. It was. It was. They. They essentially doubled down on a lot of the sh- like the stuff that that Luna was saying. Their initial reply kind of doubled down on their stance. Like, no, we did look at this. You know, it's like we showed it to people of color, and they didn't think that it would sell or something horrible like that. So there was a whole statement, and then it got rescinded. Oh, hold on a second. Let me see if I just realized like. <laughs> 
kind of that, oh, I, I bet that so-and-so did you, did you, might did have Did you it. like it on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> did you just find it that way? Because that'd be great. No, it would be great. But no, let me see here. Uh, blah, 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 I just, blah, It's blah. funny. I was just looking this up and I saw that um, a, a popular website covered this story and was like, this is not the first time that a publisher has pulled a project because of controversial content. DC's second coming. And it was like, that's 100% different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the creator pulled that from DC because they asked him to make changes, right? Not the publisher refused to do it. Yeah. While we discussed Joshua Luna's book, we considered comparable titles and the opinions of other members of the Image staff, two of which were people of color, and relayed along their suggestions and feedback. Part of that feedback also included concerns from our lawyer about greenlighting a version of the cover that had copyrighted characters on it. We publish and welcome a number of inclusive titles and creators, and the liquidation of old inventory notice and digital ebook notice that he refers to was simultaneously sent to a number of creators who share a deep backlist with Image. The timing of that notice was pure coincidence. So that is yeah, the statement that they then yeah, had yeah. asked Bleeding Cool to pull, which Rich did. Which is yes, you know. So uh, yeah. So that, wait, why? why uh? Well, honestly, on the one hand, I know that he's he's walking a fine line, but the idea that people can release a statement and then rescind it seems a little like, and you know, after it's been published on the website, and they're like, no, 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 no take that down. I'm kind of like, you know, like yeah, but like. I literally, literally, my my cynical response is the only publisher he wouldn't do that for is DC. Right. <laughs> well, and again, there's there's I know a that. fine like, line. Do that for Marvel in a oh, second. I you know, I, and so it doesn't make sense that you do it for Image as well. Uh, no, I was about to say I personally think that Rich is doing a lot of stuff for Marvel that maybe the other comic book uh, publishers don't get the benefit of. Uh, believe. Oh me, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. So. Uh, yeah, so that that's that is to me what I thought fascinating was the maybe maybe the through line to so much of this is entitlement. You know what I mean? Like there's just uh Marvel feels completely like Sobolski can turn around and just make a pronouncement about what Marvel comics are going to sell. They can turn around and commission a collage cover without worrying about the how the artists uh, who contribute who feel created the original yeah. art feel about it. You know, image clearly oh. feels well within their rights. Not, I mean, of course, if you're if you're uh, if you're a partner at Image, you're essentially one of the publishers, and what a person chooses to publish. You know, it should be absolutely 100% within their uh, scope. What is amazing, especially for Image, which has shot themselves in the foot before about matters of diversity and especially about communication, is, is that mm-hmm. it's clear they learned nothing that they needed absolutely 100% their partners and their editorial people to be trained on issues of, you know, uh, 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 issues about diversity, issues of, 
you know, entitlement issues about just how to say things like and it's just clear that comics has been such it's one point one part on such an informal network for such a long time and one part uh, and probably more than one part a field in which publishers have had absolute control over that mm-hmm. that you just get into these situations where I'm just like it almost feels like no other industry could have that of course then you start looking and it seems it seems pretty rampant in a lot of the entertainment industries yeah you know? yeah yep. so it's I don't know it's just it, it there's it's you know it uh, sadly it's really hard sort of Sort of in the same way that it's kind of like, oh yes, you know, super superhero comics are are everywhere in all of our media. It's it's kind of like, wow, it's almost as if comics are, you know, the rest of of all the other industries are now as toxic as comics were. But you know, for comics, it's a really bad fit, um, in part because there's there's so many passionate and committed creators who really do want to have diversity and inclusiveness and 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 comics really are opening up when you look at how much of the comic sales are tied to kids now mm-hmm. you know? well, i mean that's just it like hibs put up his yes. bookstore sales mm-hmm. thing and you just realize you know what the the like what comics are going to look like twenty years from now, ten years from now? Yeah. Yep. Because of what the kids are reading, and when mm-hmm. I say the kids, I'm not being like you know, hey, grandpa, get with the program. Yeah. I'm literally meaning children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they are eagerly embracing comics, and they're eagerly embracing the comics that are being made for them, and the comics that are being made for them are more diverse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are more diverse in terms of the characters that are in there, in terms of the types of stories that are in there, in terms of the types of storytelling that's in there. Yeah, and you realize just how small and small-minded the drag market is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for uh, the fact that the kids, the people reading this, you know, that that the industry is already in part being transformed because many of those creators that are transforming it were reading comics as kids, what, 10 to 15 years ago, back during, Mm -hmm. like, say, the manga boom or something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in theory unless some part of something breaks along the way you're going to have you know that procession that progression really could continue because even even as even if comics sort of fall out of fashion or out of favor as they occasionally do with the youth market sure. You're yeah. going to have another generation of incredibly diverse creators who are going to be able to come back, you know, 10 years later, who love the medium and will discover, will bring new things to it that will bring people coming back to it. So, yeah, yeah, entirely. You know, so I, I really do think that it's, it's, we're really, it's such a tr- tr- comics are, at, are at, it really involved in a transformational time and really are transforming 
because of all the stuff that, you know, comic skaters are insisting, you know, are not helping comics. And... Oh, exactly. But at the same time, like, ev- everything comic skater is saying is, like, almost funny bullshit. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's as if someone was like, can you say the opposite of what is actually happening? And they're like, yes. Right. Yeah, vehemently. People just want good comics that are full of 1990s stuff. Yeah. Yes, they don't want diversity. No one likes that. And you're like, have you fucking looked at what's selling at bookstores? Yeah. Have you actually looked? Yeah. Like one of the, the stunning things to me in Hibbs's last column was the guy who does uh, Captain Underpants comics and mm-hmm. it does like a number of other series as well. Mm-hmm. Like is like solo something like a third of the bookstore market. Yes. In comics. You know, like, imagine being that guy. It's stunning. You know? Or, like, Raina Telegmeyer. Yeah, Raina Telegmeyer. Yeah. Yeah, like, there is no more important person in, like, American comics right now yep. than yep. Raina Telegmeyer. Yeah. There just isn't. Yep. And it's just, it's, it's shocking to me <laughs> that, like, you don't get more, uh, not even more attention paid to it because, again, like, the, the, it's not the... You know, CBR is never going to really be aimed at that audience or is not for a generation, right? But for people who are like, well, this is what comics are, and they only look at the direct market, they're wrong. Yep. No, and I, I think one of the things that is interesting, uh, uh, worth, worth pointing out, is is that, you know, as you say, people, the, those comics sell tremendous amounts Without getting a lot of, without getting really barely any coverage within what we think of as comics media. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it's very much controlled by a couple of gatekeeper and tastemaker slash publishers, you know, mm-hmm. Scholastic mm-hmm. and First Second and, and a handful of others. And, uh, I, I think that that is, that is also a shame in a lot of ways because that really does mean that that well if nothing else it just i i feel runs the risk of um if you lose well, one or two it, of those pieces yes. you know yeah it really limits the possibilities yeah. Do you know what i mean like if if you really consider that you know you are looking at scholastic and first second as as you know the the primary companies mm-hmm. All it takes is for Macmillan to be like, ah, for second isn't really doing it for us anymore. Right. We're going to cut their output in half. Right. And you've drastically reduced yep. the output. I mean, but then you look at something like, you know, Penguin Random House is basically looking to start its own for second. Mm-hmm. You know, they, like they've, they've hired Gina away for a second to do it. Right. Um, DC's doing DC Zoom, DC Inc. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's other publishers are clearly looking at what is happening. Mm-hmm. What is actually happening and being like, this is the growth mm-hmm. part of the market. This is where we should be. This is what we want a piece of. Right. And as much as part of me wants to be like, oh, come on. Like, how, how can you be so cynical or bandwagon jumping? Mm-hmm. I also, like, I applaud it because this is the future of comics. Well, yeah, but I mean, one of the things that's frustrating is in the past, people jump off on that band 
wagon. I'm jumping very quickly. Way too soon. Yeah, and like like look at Minx. Exactly. Look at DC Minx. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which look lasted, at, I think, two years, and that was it. Yeah. Look at the, the way that it seemed like, I think it was Pantheon, was being turned on and off like a fucking light switch there for a couple of years, where it was like suddenly a ton of output. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of graphic novelists who, you know, were approached uh, very eagerly and then dropped like two or three books in, you know, just a decade ago. Imprints that, like you said, like Minks, went in business and were out just as fast. So I hope that everyone hangs in there because that is the endurance of first second is, re I think, really to be celebrated because they yeah, stayed yeah, there the for so The fact that McMillan stuck with it. Yeah. And honestly, that comes down to Mark. It comes down to Mark Siegel. Yes. But just just 100% fighting for it. Mm -hmm. Like 100% being like, okay, we're going to have work I believe in, but like I'm just going to fucking stay here forever. Yeah, right. You no, know? like it, it's... And the same with Scholastic, you know, but to be fair, also like Scholastic had the early hits, do you know what I mean? Scholastic had Reina's stuff, they had like the Bone collection, mm -hmm. you know, they had stuff that like were, were really big hits really early on mm -hmm. that they could basically use as like a shield mm -hmm. when, when, uh, when, when, you know, accountants come in and are like, oh, I don't know about this book, they could point to their hits and be like, but look, when it's right, when it hits, yeah, this is this is massive. Mm -hmm. This this is you know a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. I mean, this week is BookCon America as we're recording. Uh, DC has announced at least one new DC Zoom book. Uh, they've announced artists for some of the ones that are already announced. Uh, I know they're announcing a new Black Label project tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a bunch of of Things that are are that make me think that you know DC's in it for the medium haul, if not the long haul. Mm -hmm. uh, and Penguin Random House is definitely in it for the long haul, mm -hmm. unless something goes hideously wrong. Penguin Random House is in it for the long haul. Right. And I say that just because I know Gina. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like Gina takes this shit seriously. You can, you genuinely could not have picked a better person to hand, uh, head that up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. And she wouldn't get involved if it wasn't a long-term prospect. If only because she had a great situation for a second. Just the fact that she was willing to leave for a second, like, it's a sign for me of, of how serious Penguin Random House is. Right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you're right. Like, you know, you look at what comics gates say, and it's like, you're, you couldn't be more wrong if you tried. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Genuinely, could not be wrong if you tried. You're literally serving a shrinking, dying audience, mm -hmm. just because it's your taste and you're scared. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this. I'm like now, Graham. Now we come back and talk about the Leviathan Rising one shot, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, it's just, like we have to get back at some point. We said we're gonna. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've read anything else that's been like genuinely amazing uh, in the last in the last couple of weeks, and, and sadly I haven't. Oh. Like I've read a bunch of stuff that I've liked, mm -hmm. but you know, and, and I should also say that there's a pile of stuff that I have to read that I'm really looking forward to and think that will be. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've got a bunch of, of stuff from John and Quarterly and various other people. Uh, I've got um, Hot Comb, the Ebony Flowers book. Mm. 
um, waiting for me that I'm I'm both super excited about and honestly have not had the mental space to even think about dipping into yet. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes, and maybe this is just me, if I know something is going to be actually very engaging and emotionally engaging and intellectually engaging, and I'm tired that night, yes, I'm going to read shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to start that book. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be up to that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm I'm very conscious of that. You know, I've I've got um, I've got the the collected Clyde fans to read. Oh wow! And I've not dived into that for the same reason. I'm like, no, I need like time and space to read this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's so I haven't read anything that's been like, Jeff. I have to tell you, this has blown my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, because, you know, you don't have to do that all the time. Right. But at the same time, you know, I'm like, I, I liked Superman Leviathan Rising. Yeah. But I like it within the parameters of, it's a really good Superman comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing which, that I... Which, which is a calm down after saying, you know, these comics are changing the industry. Like, look at Scholastic. Look at First Second. Look at what all these comics are doing. And then being like, and DC's latest Superman comic is really good. But it's a really good Superman comic. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, admittedly, that's, A, that's sort of the, our particular curse is I feel like we do love comics as a medium. But we are, you know, you and I both tend to center on the superhero comics and the stuff that comes out all the time. Uh you know, and I think there's there's something to be said. You know, again, we mentioned Hibbs. Hibbs used to say, like, you know, you gotta you gotta have good comics on the stands every week to keep the regular customers coming in. You know, for the direct marketplace, that is a healthy sign. Like, you do want a world where you've got good comics for kids, good comics for teens, good comics for adults, good comics for the superhero fans, good comics oh, yeah, for the manga you, fans. You, you, yeah, you know. I really want good comics for right. everyone. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. dream. So the fact that Leviathan Rising, you know, has so many different stripes within it. Like, I I figured that I would enjoy the Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, uh, Jimmy Olsen comic. And mm-hmm. that was that little section was much funnier than I expected. And I was expecting it to be funny, uh, which was great. The... Greg Rucka, Lois Lane section had really strong art and also played better with Bendis's tone than I was expecting. Yes. So, yeah. I've got to say, like, even accepting that, like, Fraction is very Fraction mm-hmm. in his bits, like, the crossover between the stories was, was really well done. Yeah. I love that Rucka and Fraction have a text conference, a text message chain between their characters mm-hmm. that you see in both strips yes and and works great in mm-hmm. both strips mm-hmm. you know yeah. like it, it doesn't feel strange mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no it did it felt it felt really enjoyably cohesive at that point in a way that gave me hope i really really was surprised by how much i liked batman last night on earth issue one um i'm you know which is, I told you. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I was really impressed with it. I liked, I don't know, it was it was all the stuff that I want from a Snyder Capullo book. But one of the things that really impressed me was 
how weird how how much of a weird change up uh the pacing was on mm-hmm. by by him breaking the individual by having sub chapters in there um yeah. with with title sections and stuff like that really gave it a weirdly uh offbeat feeling to it and it also helped because it's such a um it it helped make a crazy accelerated timeline storyline accelerate even more so like you get jumps within the narrative just within the first issue in a way um that's really intriguing so oh yeah like that comic fucking moves jeff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It really which, does. Which is honestly one of the things I really like about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really like that it's it, – because it starts from a place of cliche. Mm-hmm. Like we've all seen or read the story that it starts with. Yes. You know, yeah. Batman being told, no, it's all a fantasy. So you, you ex- you've already learned to expect the twist. Mm-hmm. But what is great is like this. Get they move on from that surprisingly fast. Yeah, they really do. Like, uh, like other comics would be like, okay, the end of the first issue is him realizing that he's not insane. Yep. And it's Ed Snyder and Kapoor are like, fuck that. Let's just get that like halfway through the issue, and then we're going to move on, and then we're going to have like three other crazy things before the end of this issue. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it helps that it's a supersized issue in that sense, but yeah, it yeah. still worked really well, really well. Uh, that that was that was super enjoyable. Um, should I just run down? I mean, of course, I'm enjoying Immortal Hulk, which is kind of great to have a good as a regular book on the stands that is it's, just it's so goddamn so, good. Yes, it's so surprise not surprisingly good anymore, but it's nonetheless feels like a surprise every issue. Yep. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, it's still great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's out. Fuck, it's not gone shit yet. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I really enjoy about it and part of why I think it it works well. I mean, the creative team is is fabulous, but piecing-wise one of the things that I like is how much um Ewing throws so much stuff at you that um he's he still can sort of come back to almost like that initial premise from the first issue. And mm-hmm. it's still exciting. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's a few moments in uh, issue 18 that are very much related to like levels of interaction between Banner and the Hulk that were just great. And just like, Oh, I'm, you know, that ma- really managed to kind of do the like, oh, I'm really excited by this. And the fact that that uh, that Ewing has done a good job of showing us a lot of stuff that's got going on, but not everything. So there's still a feeling of mystery. And uh, yeah, it's just just really well done. Uh, did you read the final issue of Peter Cannon Thunderbolts? No, I haven't yet, and I've seen lots and lots of people just lose their minds over it. Mm. It's uh, it's fun. I don't. I and I also thought it was. I thought it was good. I didn't necessarily connect with it as much as other people did. I think you'll like it a great deal, and it would be really fun to talk about it. But I I really wanted to read it. Uh, like again, it's one of those things. Like I didn't actually get in because I was like, this is going to 
get me thinking and I don't like having right. brain space to be thinking. Yeah. Uh, I really want to read it in the same week as Doomsday Clock. Yes, exactly what I was going to say because it is, as we know, it is very much um, Gillen riffing on the comics industry obsession with Watchmen and does yeah. some, some very f- you know, funny and clever and charming stuff throughout and the way that it builds to in this fifth issue um, didn't necessarily strike me as anything particularly revelatory, but did strike me as very well done. Like I very much enjoyed it in that, in that uh, as someone who enjoys the, the formalism, I really liked where it went, but also because it was such a formalist piece, I was kind of like, Oh yeah, you kind of, it's a little bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle. You're like, okay, well, of course this is going to be the final piece. Cause exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It has to go here. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that was, that was great. Um, and then I, I'm going to do the very quick rundown. I mentioned to you, I don't think that I mentioned it to anyone else, which is shocking considering, as you know, everyone knows, I had 40 minutes of nonstop blabbing by myself uh, just a few weeks ago when we did our post-Portland visit. Uh, I'm up to something like volume. I just finished volume eight of Haikyuu, H-A-I-K-Y-U, which is the volleyball manga from that that shonen jump has been um printing and has 350 chapters available via the shonen jump app if you pay that buck 99 a month or 2.99 a month whatever something that kind of went for me from being a oh this is a good cause it deserves to be supported i'll throw some money at it even though and hopefully at some point i'll find something that really floats my boat you know, or they'll put JoJo's Bizarre Adventure up there. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I have burned through eight volumes of this in a relatively short time. And, you know, volumes are, I don't know how it breaks down. It's basically, we could say, I guess, something like 10 chapters per volume. And each chapter is about 18 to 20 pages. So it's it's a lot of comic to read. And volleyball, which is... I have to say, a subject that I cared not one whit about is a. It's uh, there's a lot of stuff that uh, the the. Oh God, I got to look up the Haiku creator so that I can give them the appropriate um, kudos. Uh, they they really realized sort of volleyball's a great sport to do a, comics about because there's so much spiking the ball like there's a lot of diagonal action like the switch in action between um you know horizontal vertical and diagonal lines of action just make it perfect for uh comics because you know there's so many ways to build and break tension just from the movement of the ball uh it's yeah hari hariuchi uh um uh is the creator it's incredibly popular because again 350 chapters and still going so i am way late on this and the other thing that's great is um the 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 storytelling i think is really smart because it starts off with kind of the classic shonen trope of 
the unstoppable volleyball master who's arrogant meeting the passionate neophyte fan who's got sort of limitless natural potential and they meet as enemies in the first six or seven chapters and swear their eternal enmity against one another and then of course Mm -hmm. they end up at the same school and on the same team relatively shortly thereafter uh and what what's nice is the the zag is instead of them more or less like um you know, sort of being eternal enemies after that, they more or less bond through their shared passion for the game and become, you know, a weird but amazing team. And it's just, it's really the the team, the whole team dynamic where it's like once people are on a team, all these people sort of unconditionally accept each other and have to be able to, to play as a team is on the one hand, Japanese manga 101, but I really like how they were doing it here. And of course you, you know, again, the great thing about it, sports manga is it slots so easily into the tried and true shonen formula. So, you know, by volume eight, or volume nine, you've already had this team have their unexpected victory against the unstoppable team, their unexpected defeat by the team that they didn't see coming, the, you know, the team that then beats the team that beat them and realizing they're going to have to beat the team that beat the team that beat the team if they're ever going to get to the blah, blah, blahs. It's all it all stacks up really nicely. Needless to say, it's like a it's like a conveyor belt of pleasure, Graham. It's just I'm being just rolled right down the line <laughs> of all those chapters, and it's entirely pleasant. So for people people looking to get into that, um, it is it is it is fun as hell. And again, because because the Shonen Jump app limp quote-unquote, limits you to only being able to read 100 chapters a day uh, maximum. Only 100 chapters exactly. a day. Exactly. I have not come anywhere close. Like, when I was in Portland and getting hooked, I was, I think I was lucky to exactly. maybe break 15, 20 chapters a day. That's and then, like you literally had nothing else you had to do then. Yeah. But read those comics. Yeah, exactly. Fifty. like, how many chapters a day say that again? Uh, three. They have over three hundred and fifty chapters. I think it's three hundred. No, no. But how many chapters? Chapter, how many chapters can you read a day? Oh, a hundred. A hundred chapters. hundred chapters. Yeah. How could you do that? I like have, genuinely, how yeah. did you do that? Even if that was your job for that day. No, I know. I think they set the bar so high, which is great because it is. It's a great little. Um, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, go ahead, knock yourself out. When you look at something like One Piece, which is. 900 chapters you know they're kind of like sure go ahead try and read that all in nine days you know you want to read all of it sure you get nine days go for go to time yeah for like two bucks so it, it really is kind of it's it's a phenomenal deal and was just tremendously fun reading um the other weird flip side 
manga but very different experience it took forever but my solo exchange diary volumes one and two finally came out which is which is the follow-up of um my last minute experience with loneliness right exactly yeah yeah uh, by the creator i can't remember the name of yeah nagata kobe i think um that was a pretty great read as well like my lesbian experience with loneliness was such a um perfectly encapsulated little uh portrait and my solo exchange diary volume one and two are much messier because they are more like diary entries of like here's what's going on with me and it's very specifically about her complex interactions with her mental health and her family but it's so um it's that classic like i feel like she gets so profoundly personal and specific about her neuroses that it somehow ends up feeling completely universal um, yeah yeah exactly because it's it's not trying to be universal yeah but the what it evokes is utterly universal exactly like you like you, you can you manage to look past the specificity mm-hmm. because it is so specific yeah and you pick out like it's not trying to pander and so because of that i think that's true in a lot of things mm-hmm. things that aren't trying to pander you you're like oh i know what that feels like yeah exactly that that this person by taking the time to completely screw down 100 percent what it what it feels like at a granular level you're like oh yeah that that maps broadly which is amazing uh i read volume one memories of Emanon, uh, which is by uh, Shinji Kajio and uh, Kenji Surata. That was uh, published uh, digitally, at least, super recently by Dark Horse. Um, Surata, uh, is, I'm a fan of, um, you might remember from me talking about the two volumes of, of uh, Wandering Island. I kind of like the way that she that uh, Surata draws um attractive slouchy women and uh Eminon is kind of the perfect um volume of slouchy attractive women <laughs> drawing it's it's kind of a sci <laughs> science fiction version of oh god what's that damn movie series with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy Oh, Before Sunrise. Yeah, so it's very it's very much like a science fiction version of Before Sunrise and works really really well. Was a was a really enjoyable read. Supposedly there's more volumes that are that are coming up because of the the nature of the character, but um uh I don't know if I necessarily need to read them. I I also read uh Gleipnir, Gleipnir um based on weirdly enough someone making recommendations to david brothers and i'm like okay i'll just jump in and read this uh by sun takeda and it's a uh it seems like it should be my jam it's basically about an isolated youth who turns into a who's capable of turning into a monster, although he doesn't know why. And then he meets a mysterious girl who thinks that she knows 
part of the secret. She finds out his secret and then basically tries to get, you know, manipulate him into helping her out and her larger ties. And volume one is just them encountering another monster person that, that, you know, that they have to fight. And, uh, there's just an abundance of camel toe shots. So, I mean, it's monsters and camel toe. Maybe Gleipnir is like Norse or Norwegian for camel toe, but it's kind of, um, it's interesting. I'm always like, sure, I want some spicy manga. And then I read it. I'm like, uh, not like this, though. I don't know. Not that spicy, Jeff. No. Yes. Oh, my God. Can you, can you hear a fighting dog? Yeah. Did, did Gus suddenly start howling? Was that Ernie? No, no, that's Gus. Gus has all of a sudden just been like, arr, arr. Jeff, mm-hmm. like, I actually, your, your mention of, like, uh, like skinny people slouching yes. earlier made me think of two things. Um, I, I said, like, I haven't been reading it. I haven't read anything. It's, like, blown my mind. I have, however, watched two things Ooh. that uh, I'm fairly sure you will have seen. Mm-hmm. But I ask you about it. firstly fleabag season two no and it kills me hopefully we will see this very soon but you saw season one right oh no no this is the problem is we edie and i sat down to watch fleabag the first episode i loved it she didn't care for it so i was like i'll come back okay. to it so okay. you yeah. have to no. um yeah. yeah you have to because i genuinely love season one i thought season one was wonderful and and in particular the last episode of, of season one was mm-hmm. just i mean in my mind perfect and what shocked me about season two was season two was that good if not better all the way through yeah and that's really what i've heard is how incredibly strong the second season is the the, the performances mm-hmm. i mean but also like it's the writing is just breathtaking mm. and so bold and so natural and just like it really was one of the things where I couldn't watch more than like a couple of episodes in a row because mm-hmm. I was like no like I have to recover from this yeah yeah it's good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the other thing which again you may or may not have seen is the what we do in the shadows show the FX show based on the movie yes I have not seen either uh, which is a shame because i would have thought the movie in particular would have been your thing you know it was one of those things where it was around on all the streaming services and i'm like i'll get to it i'll get to it it's hard to believe because it's so um like widely loved and adored now but people critically professionally critically that that movie was a little coolish um, and so I was like, oh, I'll get to it. There's no rush. And it didn't sound like people necessarily loved it anyway, but I was sure we would give it a try. And then, of course, now the series is really cooking and and you're enjoying you're enjoying that as well, of course. Did, I think the series is over. Oh, oh interesting. Check. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm literally checking right now to see if it is. I've seen. Let's see. No, apparently it's. Have I seen all the series? Oh no, there's there's one episode I haven't seen. Mm, okay, um, but it's it has just been very very fun. It's it's one of those things that is actually much like Fargo, 
uh, a very good translation of the show without being a slavish recreation of, the, of or rather of the movie without being a slavish recreation of uh, like mm-hmm. just literally you know shot for shot mm. uh, it helps that the first at least episode if not two episodes are by the same writer and director of the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a great gag that I kind of want to ruin for you and also I'm not sure if I really do mm-hmm. um, but there is an episode where the guest cast is r- like really genuinely I can't quite believe they did that wow really but absolutely perfect I th- can I just ruin it for you Jeff yeah sure go for it there's a high council of vampires and it's basically people who have played vampires and like familiar films. Oh, so like Tilda Swinton's there. Uh, Wesley Snipes is there. Wow. Uh, the, the cast of the original, what we do in the shadows is there. <laughs> um, but like, so is, you know, Paul Rubens there from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, that is so I, I, and it's just, they literally like just keep panning between people and you're like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, they're all named the actors names is the other thing. that's great. Oh, really? Apart, apart from the What We Do in the Shadows mm-hmm. uh, cast, who were named as their characters from the film. Right, right. So Wesley is Wesley. and Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that is hilarious and really funny. But it's so great because like, you see Tilda Swinton first, and you're like, holy fuck, they've got Tilda Swinton. And they're like, it's Lord Tilda. <laughs> they're just like, what do you think, Wesley? And, then, and you're like... Are they actually, like? Are they really doing this? And they really fucking are. Wow, that sounds that's amazing. such a great bit. It's mm-hmm. such a great bit. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, I just realized we had this moment of like all this other news. Like, we didn't even talk about our our new Batman. All hail our new Batman. The Batman is dead. Long live the Batman, etc. Et I made this joke on Wired, and no one fucking saw it. But he's a vampire who's turned into a bat. Damn it. <laughs> Yes, people, you know what we're talking about because I feel like it was all over the fucking news. Robert Pattinson is the next Batman. It was hilariously like all over the news and then it wasn't for a week and then everyone was all over again like it had just been announced. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, like am, I, am I going mad? Didn't they announce this last week? Yeah, apparently it didn't take and then suddenly it did. Well, no, apparently he wasn't, like it was announced that he was in the running and then it was like re-announced that he's got the job. Oh, okay. Well, I do I do feel like, thank goodness, that people don't quite bite for that sort of stuff uh, the way they used to. Yeah. In the running doesn't necessarily mean squat these days. But yeah, the fact that it was down. And uh, as, as you know, because this is all information I found out from, I think, reading your THR newsletter, uh, the fact that it was down to to, uh, Robert Pattinson and Nicholas Holt, who I have to say, I kind of wish he'd gotten it. I kind of wish he'd gotten it because I think Nicholas Holt is surprisingly good as an actor. And I think could have, I don't know. I mean, I think they'll both bring different things to the Batman, but uh, we'll see where it goes. Pattinson... I, I'm I'm very curious what the film's going to be like. Yeah, right. You know, because you've had uh, Matt Reeves say, like, I want to make a detective film. Mm-hmm. Batman in movies is always like fighting shit, mm-hmm. and I just want to make a detective film. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and honestly, like getting Robert Pattinson for that is like okay. Mm-hmm. Sure, like let's see what he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the other thing is like you can I, I know lots of people are like I can't believe it's a vampire from Twilight. 
dude, if you've learned anything from the last 30 years, you don't like this one, it'll flop, and there'll be another Batman film along in, like, three years. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think people are... I don't know. There's probably outrage that I'm not following. Oh, there's a lot of outrage, sir. Yeah, Yeah, of course there is. Yeah, of course there is. But, of course, I'm also like, yeah, fuck those guys. It's it's not a bad choice. He's done some really... I, I actually have never seen any of the Twilight movies, but I've seen a couple of films that he's done outside of that and i'm like he's a he's a he's a good actor with some some interesting um he's choices i guess you yeah, know i like his taste he's, mm-hmm. he's made some interesting choices yeah so so we'll Who, see. I, but really like it's very hard to get completely upset about this one or another no, it's like right it's it's a bad man film right maybe it'll be a good one maybe it'll be a bad one doesn't matter yeah it's true it's true. Well, thank you, Graham. Thank it's you like, for showing up that little piece of news. You know, they picked so-and-so as Spider-Man. Really? Because it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's, it flops. There's going to be another Spider-Man film in like two years. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. No, it's so true, eh? So true. Um, and the one thing we didn't talk about that was comics-related, and Jeff, we're missing out. Paramount's making a movie universe based on the Atlas comics. Oh, <laughs> the Atlas comics. Oh, the Atlas news. Oh, my God. Were we who was was were you Wait, and I you, up in or, Oregon yeah, together and you, trying to explain you, it? Yeah, you and you and I were having dinner in uh, Blossoming Lotus. Ah, yeah. When, when we talked about that, mm-hmm. um, what people who may or may not know this is Atlas was when I say short lived, I mean less than a year short lived yeah. comic company uh, in the nineteen seventies that was. Uh, thank you, Sean Howe, for this piece of information, which I love dropping. Called Vengeance Incorporated inside the industry <laughs> at the time, because it was set up by Martin Goodman, who founded Marvel Comics, to fuck with Marvel Comics. That's right. Yeah, he, he uh, and it bitter. like famously went out of business after publishing twenty eight titles. I don't, or rather, twenty eight issues. Yes, not twenty eight titles. Twenty eight issues of comics. Yep. In fact, I think it's twenty three comic books and five magazines in total wow uh, and, and of those i want to say three of them were reprints by mm. from material from another company wow. so it, there's nothing there and apparently the movie producer paid like over 10 million dollars for the right <laughs> oh, which is shocking especially funny was again talking about dynamite dynamite reached out to me the following week and they're like do you want a statement about atlas and i was like Sure. And they're like, you know we own the trademark Atlas Comics, right? <laughs> and they do. And they've been using it for years. Wow, I didn't realize. Paramount can't even use the trademark Atlas Comics. They paid more than $10 million for characters no one has ever heard of. God, who's and the producer? Because that's some serious egg on the it, face. Here's what's great. Mm-hmm. Do you know what else he's made? What? The Nick Cage Ghost Rider movies. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. So you're a fan, obviously. You know, honestly, I never saw the second one. And the first one was... It wasn't as bad as the Ben Affleck Daredevil, which was also written and directed by the same guy who did the first Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider movie. But I know that saying very, very exactly. Well. Yeah. yeah. I could... You know what? I've just realized I've uh, recently seen a Nick Cage superhero film. Oh? Teen Titans goes to the movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I have. Yes, I Super have. Super fun. It really is, isn't it? 
It's great. I think I talked about it on this podcast, but that's okay. Who can remember what we actually talked about? But yeah, no, of course, because there's a great scene where like the Teen Titans are completely dissing the challengers of the unknown. Which oh, is, there's more than one scene, for yes. that, which is wonderful. But um, like the Stan Lee joke is great. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 no. I really enjoyed Teen Titans go to the movies. And uh, at one point I was trying to creep out my nieces by like learning their little uh, rap song. But oh, no, don't do that. I know. I know. But uh, yeah. So, uh, yes, or that was alternately good. do that. And that could be a Patreon extra. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I should. Yeah. Patreon next- people. Leave comments that once your Jeff attempts the the Teen Titans go to the movies rap song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's amazing, <laughs> and I think we all want to hear that. It's not just me. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's worth it. I like that song a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nicolas Cage playing Superman and Spider Man in the same year. In the same year. Yeah, right. right? It's nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really. He had a good year. Yeah, he definitely did. There was some other really good superhero casting in that too. I mean, there's the regular Teen Titans crew, which I I like, but like of the various heroes, there was something that was was also kind of funny. I can't remember who it was. I'm I'm literally looking up the cast now. Yeah, it was um, because I saw that and uh, and Lego Movie Two, like I've seen both those in like the last month or something. Wow! And Lego Movie Two is actually all pretty good as well. It's really? not as good, but mm-hmm. it's it's pretty good. Oh, that's um, good. But that's got that's got a great running Bruce Willis joke. Oh, really? Which with Bruce Willis as the voice, uh, Jimmy Kimmel is Batman. Ah, there we go. Maybe that was it. It was like Jimmy Kimmel's Batman was weird. And is it Kristen Wiig who's um, uh, Kristen Wiig? Is she Wonder Woman? Who's Wonder Woman? No, it's Halsey. Halsey. Okay. So that's not it. But yeah, just having, well, of course, having Will Arnett as Slade was wonderful. Um, They pretty much had to make him a producer on the movie. Oh, right. Michael Bolton. God damn it! I know I'm going to end up rewatching this again before the end of the week. No, because it's great. Yeah, it's legitimately it, great. Yeah, it really was. It was wonderful, and and I think I mentioned this in like a tweet or something. But now that you've seen it, Graham, the thing that I think is hilarious about Teen Titans Go to the Movies is the Slade's villainous master plan is basically DC Universe the app. Yes, yes. Which I thought was really a great little piece of synergy. I'm just like, oh. well, especially because like it came out what like two months before. Season yes, yes. Yeah, it's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah, it was like when I was watching, it, I'm like, oh fuck, this is actually the oh Christ. So for yeah. a second, I thought you were going to point out in Lego Movie Two is you know it's funny, it's family film. It has one joke that is so specifically targeted to me that I should feel appalled. And I said, I laughed like an idiot. Oh yeah. Which is, uh, you've seen Lego movie one, right? Yes. So Batman is like none more goth, none more emo. Yes. And at one point they're all singing about how they're so sad and how they're all really depressed. Uh huh. And the, the, um, I want to say it's the, the spaceman. His lyric in the song is now I finally understand Radiohead. And it got, <laughs> Batman, Batman goes, you should try Elliot Smith. It's much deeper. <laughs> I laugh like a train. I was like, I have been called out so bad. And yet that is such a perfect joke. 
That's great. That is oh, really so funny. Ah, that's beautiful. Well, I saw John Wick three, which is was uh is also almost like seeing a superhero movie. I mean, it basically. I, is. I, do you know I still haven't seen John Wick one? Really? Well, yeah. that and here's it, here's the thing. John Wick three is playing at the at the Baghdad. Oh, so it's man. like it's super local. It's not expensive, and I'd go and see it. For us, in fact, that everyone I know who's seen it has basically said it's great. But you have to have seen the first two just to understand, just to basically get the full enjoyment out of the film. Yeah, I think actually that is true, which is ridiculous because they're not. <sighs> The, it's, it's mythology heavy films right well yeah i mean it's a very it's a it's a weird thing like john wick 3 is just it's just it just builds on the consequences of the previous two movies and then there's the world building which is weird the thing that's really odd about the john wick movies is they in a way they can really be modular like if you go back and you watch john wick one and then work your way up to john wick three you'd be kind of like eh, there's a lot of effort just to catch up on something because they're they're how do i put it on the one hand they're 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 what i like calling calling pure cinema which is to say they look beautiful the action scenes are great keanu's physicality and his demolished physicality is is wonderful and three really gets incredibly inventive with its set pieces and it it's it's just it's wonderful especially and this is where it's not not your thing necessarily but for someone like me who is like a big hong kong movie fan it it's strangely close to being more of a american jackie chan movie than i would have actually thought and so Mm -hmm. i think in a way you would like three better more in some ways more than one um because it's because the the wittiness really starts kicking up i think in in two and then in three it kind of kicks into high gear but in terms of story or character it's it's super minimal it's like it's there's barely any there there, but in terms of it just being an actual visual and visceral experience, I like three a ton, arguably more than even the first one. So, okay, yeah, so I, I think it's worth seeing. I, I really enjoy it, and I think people who like action films will really like it because it's weirdly super pared down on the story and character side of things, and then weirdly opulent when it comes to the action scenes and the visuals and again the world building is just so eccentric and it's the only how do i put it there's a lot that it has to lean on because the first movie was so clearly supposed to be a weird self-contained sort of one-shot thing yeah like if they were kind of like oh this is a big hit what else have we got and it's kind of like well we did kind of have a weird world building thing that we should go crazy on. But I also get people who look at that and are kind of like, that is goofy and doesn't do much for me. Like, I can't imagine that you're going to walk out of John Wick and be like, oh yeah, the world building. I totally love the world building, you know? So (laughs) that's what I want to see more of. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyable. That was something that, 
that I thought was tremendous amounts of fun. So, um, and of course I talked about seeing Shazam when I was in Portland and Graham, I, I mean, admittedly I've done a lot of pot between then and now, but I'm having such a difficult time remembering Shazam. I'm like, yeah, there was that scene that I liked with the... Uh... The bit at the end where it's it's the guy from the OC, but he's like the, the superhero version of the of Freddy, you know. Right. Oh, is that who that was? Oh, yeah, okay. apparently, apparently so. I also didn't... Like, I had that moment of like, I feel like I've seen him in something. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, apparently that was the guy from the OC. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I liked it a bunch, but yes. I'll be honest. Like, I also would be lying if I was like, I like. Uh, there's moments of that film trapped in my head forever. Nah. Right. You know, the thing that's really weird is the stuff that kind of tr- sticks in my head is the is the part that we talked about that was weirdly atonally out of sync with the rest of the film in a way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and honestly, that's kind of why it sticks in the brain. Right. It's, it's exactly. Kind of it's just like, yeah. why, why did they do that again? You know. Um, so yeah, uh, that's exciting. I feel, I feel like oh, there might've been some other movie. I forgot. Yes. I was going to say, I was just say we should probably be wrapping things up because we're now like, oh shit. Two hours into it? Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay. Sorry, um, everyone. I think there is no better way of launching our 10th anniversary month. <laughs> than running long and having such a wonderfully meandery episode. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done a proper way in like a month and a, I miss doing them. I do too. A lot. Mm-hmm. Like really, really much. I'm so uh, glad to hear it. Ho- hopefully you listeners have missed them as well. And therefore you're welcome. <laughs> uh, if you didn't, we're sorry. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, either way, there's going to be show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcast.com. You can find us elsewhere on the internet on our Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com, which I really will update more this week. It's this past week was just, busy with work um there's an instagram instagram.com forward slash wait what pods there's a twitter account at wait what podcast jeffrey lester has a twitter account on his own at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-t i am at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m and we are a patreon supported podcast which means jeff lester is going to tap dance into view right now and tell us a little bit more about that Ta-da-da-da. uh actually graham before i do and i should but do you think <laughs> One one of the things that we had talked about was for the ten year anniversary that we should do a Q and A episode. Should we put out the call for questions now? To I said listeners? I was going to do that after we did this. Oh, okay, I'll just Shh. cut this part out Jeff, then. Jeff, no, I know. Well, I don't know, Graham. So it's completely understandable. You'd be like, wait, when are we going to do this? Yeah, Yeah. right. Well, actually, it was really funny when you mentioned the thing that I'm not going to actually mention here. Well, I can cut it. No. Anyway, I was like, wait, what is he talking about? Did we say that we were going to do that? I was like, oh, yeah, we did say that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Got to lay off the pot. Anyway, people... (laughs) You're, we really do appreciate you listening to us Babylon and on now moving into 10 years of it, which is staggering. We thank you so much. It's, uh, it's really managed to kind of, I mean, clearly Graham and I enjoy talking with one another. Uh, but it also has kept me kind of, um, I feel like I'm in a really good place right now in terms of, 
really liking comics. Uh, I mean, definitely roping in manga specifically is part of that, but, um, comics. let's not have this conversation. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 they are. But I mean, as, as a sort of specific subset and I, I'm not saying that they're not, not, not comics, but, um, the, I do know that there was a point where I was kind of burning out somewhat heavily on superhero comics kind of got a little more passion for them than I've had in part because our streaming services are great. But even then as Graham and I were talking uh, today and I didn't quite really mention fully is while in the process of kind of like, Oh, I'm going to sit down and read some random comics from Marvel and from DC universe. It's like the whole world's my oyster. I found myself getting really kind of restless. And after like three or four on each side, I mean, part of it was I'm reading things like Green Lantern, the movie prequel comics. But I just found myself being very like, like, ah, restless. And then I then I downloaded some haiku and opened up some other manga. And I'm like, yeah, this does the trick. So I'm, I feel like I'm in a really good place with comics and I really have to thank the listeners for that because I think that, uh, Graham and I doing this podcast kind of kept me searching for stuff to be able to talk about and think about and to be able to go places other than just, um, complaining about, you know, Brian Michael Bendis or Tom King's Batman, which as you all know, I've done plenty of nonetheless. So, Thank you, listeners, and thank you for the fine folks on Patreon for throwing us a a little bit of the old cosmic coin. As I mentioned earlier, this podcast is free. Um, Graham and I have sometimes, like, wrung our hands neurotically and talked about what would happen if, like, suddenly everyone stopped supporting us on Patreon, whether we would still do this or if we would just take it as a sign that we needed to go away. And... Uh, we're don't don't tell them, Jeff. Well, well, yeah, exactly. It's like good news, everyone. You're you're freed from, but but this is this is a free podcast. Uh, everyone who jumps in uh, and throws us some money and support, it's super super appreciated. Uh, we pre- I really appreciate how incredibly voluntary it is and how great. Uh, all of our listeners are and the people at Patreon uh, um, I should say the people throwing money our way through Patreon because God knows there's times where Patreon makes me want to tear my hair. Graham and I haven't even talked about the pricing changes that they just kicked in at the beginning of last month or something like that so God help us all. Anyway, and a special big thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. I was absolutely delighted when someone uh, tweeted their picture of their cat sitting in a box right above a jigsaw puzzle of an assembled galaxy and was like, I realized this is what Empress Audrey must feel like. And I was like, oh my God, Empress Audrey got her own tweet. I'm so super happy. So uh yeah that is that is actually the reason that we still have a universe right now exactly exactly you guys are doing good work and and keeping our our uh our piece of the cosmos intact and we thank you 
Graham? On that note, mm-hmm. I'm go- I am going to say we are going to do a Q&A episode. Maybe next week, maybe two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but send us questions. Yep. Send us questions via Patreon. Send us questions via Twitter. Send us questions via our, our email address, which is waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions. Yep. And like, go to town. Like, Send us wacky questions. And, yep. and we'll see. First of all, we'll see how few we can get through in an episode <laughs> I, I i honestly think like a record is like four so, so who knows but um yeah we're gonna do a q a episode because we're way overdue um yes please send us questions it will be fun and uh i am very curious to see what uh, all of you people want to know about from us yes absolutely yeah, I, uh, I'm, 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 I'll be, uh, we'll be curious. I'm hoping also in our anniversary month to try and come up with some sort of giveaway or two. I feel like it's been a while since we've done that. It's been overdue. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it, ten years, Graham. Go figure, right? I see. Now, now we're just old. <laughs> That's what it is. Now, now we're just, now we're just, we're past it, Jeff. See, the, the future, the future. I was going to say the future is behind us. I don't know what words mean. That's why we're past it. Honestly, the future's behind us is pretty is a great little phrase. Um, I had a different title for the episode, but maybe I will use that one instead. Oh, what's? I was going to say what? What was it? But don't tell me that. Like, let me look up the show notes tomorrow when they're uh, they're on. I say tomorrow. No, when you hear that time is weird. Anyway, bye. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> <laughs>